Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. DC TV Podcast. There's too many now. Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because <laughs> she looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. It's so fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, if it wasn't clear by what we are wearing tonight, we are live <laughs> and wired to discuss and review the Patty Jenkins film Wonder Woman 1984. And we know you're probably thinking, why is a Supergirl podcast talking about Wonder Woman? Well, in this film, Wonder Woman goes up against the DC Comics character Maxwell Lord, who also appeared in season one of the CW Supergirl, which we have a lot of familiarity with. We are always wondering, what is Maxwell Lord up to? Uh, we haven't seen him in a while, but uh, so we <laughs> know a thing. Something. He's out there somewhere. He's out there in that post-crisis, post-Amade <laughs> world somewhere doing something, causing some trouble. Uh, so we uh, know a little something about Maxwell Lord. So we figured we would get on here and chat about the movie. And so we'll be getting to our thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. But uh, first, we need to get to uh, some news about something, uh, well, something that we previously discussed on the podcast. So we figured we'd give a little update. So let's catch up on the news. On Sunday, January 10th, the Critics' Choice Association announced the winners of the inaugural Critics' Choice Super Awards uh, during a special presentation broadcast on The CW. Now, sadly, our girl Melissa Benoist and uh, I guess our boy, John Cryer. (laughs) I'm not that close to John Cryer, so I felt a little weird saying that. Uh, But sadly, the Supergirl cast members that were nominated did not win the awards they were nominated for. Best Actress in a Superhero Series went to Aya Cash on The Boys and Best Actor in a Superhero Series went to Anthony Starr also from The Boys, which is um, a show I promised Mike I would watch so that we could watch together. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I have not been watching it, but boy, they, they really cleaned up at the Super they, Awards. They sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Very popular uh, show for the critics. So uh, unfortunately, they didn't win, but we figured we'd update everybody since we did previously discuss that in the uh, the Super uncreative <laughs> name for the awards. Uh, so unfortunately, that didn't go uh, Supergirl's way, but uh, we figured we'd update everybody. You feel like it should have gone her way. Super is right in her name. It's right there. How it, dare it you? Just, it just seems like a big uh, disrespectful action. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a strongly worded letter to the Super, <laughs> the super Award. <laughs> All right. So I guess since we've gotten through that news, because we don't have a lot uh, here lately, because uh, we <laughs> don't even lot. know. <laughs> Not a lot is happening with the Supergirl TV series. It's doing something. They're doing something out there in Vancouver. 
but we don't know anything about it. <laughs> so when uh, when we know something, we'll pass it along. Uh, but for now, I, I think we should get into our discussion of Wonder Woman 1984. And Morgan, I thought we would talk about, since this was kind of an unusual experience, uh, an unusual move by the, the part of Warner Brothers and HBO Max on how they were going to release this, because they pushed it back and pushed it back and pushed it back. And then they released it on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time. So I was curious, what was your experience with Wonder Woman 1984? How did you watch it? So I had heard that we have HBO Max. So when I heard that they were going to release it on Christmas, I was like, cool. Um, uh, I would have loved to have seen this movie and the way that Patty Jenkins uh, and God intended on the big screen. Unfortunately, I just was like, no, don't feel very safe. Um, so I watched it on our smaller screen on Christmas Day. Um, once we got back from all the festivities with my my family, um, we just came back and we put it on and we put on some popcorn. It was it kind of had gotten late. Mike had to make a coffee. We kind of paused it a couple of times. That's not the way the filmmakers really wanted it to be watched. I'm going to be honest. It was like, <laughs> oh, hold on. Can we pause it? The cat's bothering me. Uh, it's not a thing I've ever had to say in the theater um, when I go. But we did make popcorn. So it felt theater-ish until right. Until Mike started to get sleepy uh, in the middle and he had to go make pop uh, uh, coffee. And then I was like, come on, we'll pause. Uh, it is nice being able to pause, but it does break up the flow of the movie yeah. a little bit. So, yeah, you're watching it in, in chunks at that point. <laughs> but to be fair, that movie is pretty long. I mean, it's, it's a long, so movie. long. It's so long. We'll get into that later. But I agree. It was we were like. Oh boy, <laughs> you're two in for two and a half hours. Okay, <laughs> which I can't complain because I love you know Batman v Superman, uh, the Ultimate Edition, which is a good three hours long. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so I really can't complain. So the two and a half hours that's that sounds like nothing to me. Uh, I'm I'm used to those Zack Snyder director cuts. So uh, <laughs> so that's a breeze. It was nice to be able to watch a movie like on my couch with my cats. Uh, that's not usually a, an experience. I don't get to take the cats to the theater usually. Um, so that was fun. Did the cats have any um, adverse reactions to Cheetah? You know what? I think by that point, the cats were asleep. Uh, but don't worry, the cats couldn't even really see Cheetah. So mm. yeah, <laughs> like, the rest of, like the rest of us, Cheetah was shrouded in shadows. <laughs> Cheetah was like usually me when I usually come on these live streams, just kind of emerging from the darkness before I got <laughs> this fancy ring light that keeps falling over. Oh no! Uh, if you ever see my hand go out of screen and my eyes like look very scared that's because i'm trying to keep my ring light okay uh, up. it's a it's a new experience not being <laughs> in complete darkness but yeah but yeah no the, the cats i think the cats like the movie it definitely lulled them into a into a very <laughs> calm slumber i think that they they were like "Ooh, cheetahs we love those <laughs> uh well i guess we get two two paws up i guess two for, paws uh, up yeah definitely from the cat. <laughs> from, uh, beaker and bunsen um so my experience was a little bit different um i had seen a thing i think before the movie came out on christmas day they had done like sort of a dc fandom thing they've now sort of what i i think is actually really smart dc and warner brothers is is starting to use dc fandom for promotional uh, purposes not just like a big event they're using it to be like, hey, we've got a new movie coming out. We've got a new TV show happening. So that's how they promote it, which is actually, I think, is a good idea. 
So they had a, a couple of interviews with Patty Jenkins and she was like, so uh, some theaters have like a, I don't know what they call it, like COVID safe kind of environment or whatever. You can rent out a theater. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> so my friend, my friend Mike actually had done it uh, before the pandemic really started to become a thing. And he did, he rented out a theater for his kids scout troop. They were going to watch the original, <laughs> like the original take of Star Wars before George Lucas like started messing with it. I feel like they do that a lot for like kids' birthday parties. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was a thing back when I was a uh, hundred years ago when I was coming up, but I, I think now it's like, oh yeah, we rented the whole theater. <laughs> yeah. I remember growing up and like, I would be invited to somebody's birthday and like, we would go see a movie. So, um, so I, I contacted my friend Mike and I was like, can we do this? What, what is the deal with this? How does this work? And it's actually, it was very reasonable. I think in total, it was like 300 something dollars. You've got popcorn, a drink, um, and of course the ticket, I, I think candy, I think candy came with it. So you've got like oh. all this stuff from the concessions I actually have sweet. Um, they gave us these cups which uh, is uh, pretty funny because it says, um, I don't know if you can see, <laughs> only in theaters. Only in theaters. <laughs> oh, if only Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> but but this, is, this cup is pretty cool that they gave us at the theater because it's, oh it's a bobblehead. That's so cute. It comes, it comes off the top. I cannot tell you how much I m miss movie theater popcorn. There's just a quality to the um, yellow topping that's sort of butter-like that you just don't get at home. <laughs> is it butter? Do we know? I don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think that they, I, they probably like can't say it's butter. Like, <laughs> would you like yellow? <laughs> but it's so good. It's so good. You just don't get that at home. <laughs> no, no, it's not the same. Um, so we did the movie theater experience. We uh, It was a capacity of 20 people. So you can only have 20 people in the theater, but that was fine. We did okay. But when we first got in, when the movie was about to start, uh, this is what we saw. It was uh, a screen <laughs> that popped up. I think the movie theaters are so out of practice now. They don't remember how it works. So like if you want a, a, a really good shot of it, um, it says active desktop recovery. Oh, so my God. They had to uh, restart whatever projector thing that they were using um, to actually get the movie to come up. So I felt really bad for the movie theater people because I think I think they're just out of practice. They They haven't done it in a while. Um, so there was that. And I, so I was, so we went on Christmas day, rented out a theater, uh, turned out pretty well. Um, and then I also went back a couple of days ago because I'd heard that there were some sequences shot in IMAX and it's kind of a policy for me. If a movie is shot in IMAX, I go see it in IMAX. So I did, I went to, uh, my local IMAX theater and saw Wonder Woman, uh, 1984 in IMAX. Uh, I have to say though, I was not as impressed. There are some movies that I've seen in IMAX that were shot in IMAX that are mm -hmm. like, jaw-dropping uh i remember seeing the dark knight for the first time in imax oh, and I have, a, I have a story about that which is that i went to see it with some friends in new york and we didn't get there in like early enough because we just figured we had we have tickets um and so i saw the dark knight in imax from the second row and i can tell you it's a terrifying movie from that close to the screen i imagine uh, the movie got over and I was like, is anybody else really scared right now? And it was mostly me, but it, like, I felt like I was <laughs> in Two-Face's face. I didn't want to be that close to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I just remember that. There's a, the first shot of The Dark Knight is this 
like wide shot of this building. Oh yeah, that was incredible. And I and it it was just like, oh my gosh. So that was really great. And then Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. And I'm not saying this because it's one of my favorite films and is a cinematic masterpiece. I'm I'm really not. That was it was beautiful in IMAX because the fight between Superman and Batman with Batman with his glowy eyes, it just looked clear and crisp and just so pretty. And I have to say, Wonder Woman 1984, I think the only thing that I thought was in IMAX that they might have shot was the at the beginning in Themyscira, there's like a sort of a drone shot that goes around the beach and like comes up to the the, like the Olympic sort of arena. Mm -hmm. That felt like IMAX to me, but everything else was just kind of like what I was watching on HBO Max, but bigger. So I was a little disappointed with the IMAX experience, but I figured I'd give it a shot. So uh, that was um, kind of uh, how we consumed the film. So I guess, uh, I guess we, and uh, let's see, or is anybody in the chat talking about what they did? Um, uh, Rachel says that, uh, what is it? Oots butter popcorn is almost as good as the movie theater stuff, which I've jotted down now. That's good to know. That's a good tip. It's a good uh, t- <laughs> hot tip. <laughs> uh, Claudia says uh, she watched it on HBO Max. Uh, grateful for the break at uh, one hour and 45 minutes. Uh, so yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I definitely would have had to go in a theater movie theater experience. I would have had to go to the bathroom at some point during that movie. Uh, I had the bladder of a small child. And I, <laughs> and I always get like a large soda for some reason. And so I did, I did appreciate that. I could just pause it. I think it was like right towards the end of the movie. And I was like, I can't anymore. And I like paused. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have missed probably something important. But. Oh yeah. They don't, they don't, stop it in the theater uh leslie says she watched it on hbo max on christmas uh danny said uh, i i think this is uh watching it in your pjs uh that's a great way to watch it i highly recommend uh so so that's good so everybody kind of had uh similar but different experiences uh oh rachel says she watched Ooh. it in a rented out theater so some people did uh, rent it out uh i like to support you know the movie industry because they're really struggling so yeah you know what's tough is that my my local movie theater, first off, my high school, like the movie theater we always went to in high school, just closed down. It was an AMC 24 and just goodbye. But my local movie theater has been just kind of closed for the whole pandemic. So, like, I don't even know where I would have seen it. I would have had to, like, travel travel far and wide to, to see <laughs> Wonder Woman somehow. Oh, man. That stinks. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's tough for the movie. I feel I feel bad for the movie industry because me too. Because there's like almost nothing I like more than like going to see a movie. It's just always so fun. It's and one of the things I miss the most about our you know our plague times. Yeah, <laughs> our plague times. Yeah, I used to go all the time. I used to have the AMC. I forget what it's called. Like the was it Stubbs Stubbs membership? And I could go. I could go to see it like three movies a week or something. And I would oh, do man. it. I, I would. Um, we thought so, about doing that <laughs> actually kind of like a couple months before the pandemic. So I'm glad I didn't, we didn't pull the trigger on that one, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a different world. We used to go to movies all the time and uh, now it's very rare. So it's um, funny. I think the last movie I saw in a theater before everything happened was, um, was birds of prey was the Harley Quinn movie. So I, it felt, you know, I was like, Oh yay. Movies again, (laughs) (laughs) just DC movies all the time. Really nothing else is coming out. Uh, So so 
<laughs> those were our um, those were our experiences. So I guess we should talk about the film. That's I why think before we talk about the film, because podcasting is a famously uh, visual medium, we should talk about what we're wearing. Yes, I think we should. I, think I, I was texting Rebecca, and I was like, Rebecca, I feel like for the for the Wonder Woman review, we should try to do it 80 we should try to 80s it up um but then i i didn't really i had got lazy and didn't have the follow-through so i just found <laughs> things in my closet <laughs> but you you have like a real members only jacket uh this is uh, a real thing i don't know if you want to solo my um screen oh, organ. yeah you can go on like my device and hit the little person button yeah there you go so, um so this is my grandfather's members only jacket. So it's legit. It's probably sometime in the nineties. I don't know if you can <laughs> see uh, members only there. And I think Steve Trevor wears a members only jacket. I in think so. Um, so these are really popular. I had one when I was a kid. Um, so it, it's very eighties. And I, I was talking to my brother um, because I, I was, a, I was a kid of the eighties, but he was like a teenager in the eighties. So I was just asking him about like, you know, what would you recommend? And he he sent me a text message. I found grandpa's members only jacket. I was like, what? Um, so I did do that. I, I did purchase this. They're very cheap. I like the, I like the visor. Very cheap on Amazon. I, I did get some like, uh, like sort of crazy sunglasses, but I can't wear the sunglasses and the visor. That didn't seem to make any sense. Um, I did purchase uh, some fingerless <laughs> gloves, which are very difficult to type in. <laughs> Why would anybody wear these? I know Madonna made these very po popular. But what a time for fashion, the 80s. What a time. They were really experimenting. They were like, like what, if, what if we wore gloves, but just cut the fingers off? What if we layered everything, but the layers didn't make you, make sense? Like, <laughs> what if you wear look, like leggings, but they're not like full leggings, so they're not keeping you warm. And they're <laughs> like, okay. Well, I have to say this member members only jacket is hot. Like it's keeping me warm. So, uh, so hopefully I'll be able to wear it the whole time. Uh, but so I'm channeling my, my grandpa. So I love uh, it. I, I I'm glad that I could bring him on my podcasting journey tonight, but it was funny because Morgan suggested it. And I was like, actually, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's fun to have, uh, the, the ability to represent the time period, uh, while we were here. Um, yeah. So I've got a, I've got my cheetah dress on. Yeah. This is the only animal print that I own. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going for it. And then I got, I, I pulled out these bad boys, which maybe these earrings might've actually come from the eighties. They feel like it. Uh, they were like my, my aunt's. Uh, that I was like going through a box of her stuff and I was like, these are great. I'm taking these. Uh, <laughs> so, and then of course my jean jacket and my, my side pony, you gotta, uh, you gotta have a side pony. The, the side pony is funny because <laughs> uh, as my hair has gotten longer and longer during quarantine, uh, I found that the side pony has just been kind of happening naturally. Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, I'm like working really hard and I'm looking over and I'm like, I just thought I put my hair and I look over and it's, it's just a full side pony. And I'm like, <laughs> this is why did the eighties want this? <laughs> I, I don't know. They really were stretching we like the hair just on one side of your head, not <laughs> two. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> yeah. So we, we tried to represent the time period. I think I'm going to, now that I have all this eighties stuff, I think I'm just going to like, next time I go to dragon con, if that ever happens again, <laughs> I'm going to cosplay as wonder woman, 1984. Not I like, love it. Not, not cosplay as wonder woman, but like <laughs> as 1984. 
<laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so we are trying to be in, in period costume uh, <laughs> tonight. All right. So I guess we should get to talking about the movie. Cause there's, I think there's a lot to talk about. I'm looking forward to hearing your take Morgan. Cause uh, I have my opinions and I'm sure you have some opinions. Uh, so here is the description uh, from IMDb about Wonder Woman 1984. It's very short. It says, Quote, fast forward to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure facing finds her facing uh, two all new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah, unquote. Uh, I guess that's accurate. Uh, they don't really call her the Cheetah. No, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, really, they really don't. <laughs> but that's what uh, it says there in the description. OK, so let's get started talking. And I guess that the. The best place to start would be about the story. So, Morgan, what were your thoughts about the story that took place in Wonder Woman 1984? Um, good question. The story. <laughs> the other problem is that I've seen, like, it's been a while. I probably should have rewatched the movie <laughs> before we did this because I watched it on Christmas and I was like, I should, I'm going to watch it again sometime soon. <laughs> then it didn't happen. <laughs> um, but you know, I I I generally liked the movie. I guess I'll I start like a little overall. I thought that it had some clear weaknesses, and uh, I thought that the story that they were telling was was pretty interesting. They were going about it in kind of an interesting way. I thought that there were some some choices that they made that I was like, uh, okay. Um, but specifically, I feel like it was kind of overloaded with having Maxwell Lord and Cheetah in it. Like Cheetah felt a little bit like um she was kind of a, an afterthought at the end. Like they, uh, I think I, I was joking to Mike. I was like, I don't even think that they invested in the CGI for cheetah. I think they were just like, they started to do it. And then they were like, you know what? Like she's in darkness most of the time anyway. Like why? Well, um, I think it was all practical. It looked like she had a suit on. And yeah. then, of course, all the face was just makeup. So it looked like it was all practical. But it, did you notice that, like, the camera never lingered on her for more than a second? And so I was like, I don't even know what the cheetah effect was because I barely saw her in the cheetah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and there's a whole bunch of qualms. Like, I guess maybe would be a good time to talk about this because I was confused. And maybe you can help me out with this, Morgan. The way she becomes Cheetah is not from her first wish. It's from the second one. It's from the second wish. But yeah. The whole, but the whole premise of the wish thing is that you only get one. Well, only right? get one. I think only get one. But also, you Maxwell Lord has to be touching you, and he yeah. never he never touches Barbara. Barbara's not touching him when she makes the wish to be an apex predator. Oh, you're, that's a good point that I did not pick up. Um, the first time I watched it. Cause I did think it was weird. I was like, I thought you only got one wish. Why does she get two? Yeah. I was very confused about that because, uh, it was very frustrating because it seemed like the movie was contradicting its own rules. Um, so Danny says, I don't think it was CGI. I think it was prosthetics, which I feel like is probably true. Yeah. Based on like what everyone's saying. Yeah. But I just felt like, um, I felt like they, they did the prosthetics, but then they like didn't believe in themselves. <laughs> uh, I think that's my problem. It was like, I was like, whatever you decided to do for the effects for Cheetah, like you didn't believe in it. And so the camera never lingered on her for any amount of time so that I could even have an opinion about whether it was like 
well done or not. Like, I, I don't think I could sketch you cheetah from a crowd. <laughs> Do you think it's because they were trying to avoid the backlash of the Cats musical? It's movie? funny that you say that because Rachel says they saw Cats and we're like, we're not going to do that. And that's true. But in Cats's defense, that movie looks <laughs> terrifying. And I wouldn't want to fight one of those cats. Would you want to fight Taylor Swift cat? I would not. <laughs> I don't know. I would kind of maybe want to experience Taylor Swift. <laughs> maybe I would be that weirdo. The the end of Wonder Woman 84 is like suddenly Taylor Swift cat from Cats is there and everybody's just like doing a jellical <laughs> dance and you're like, what is happening? Uh, oh, I think man. that would have been great. That would have made that movie, this movie, just really go up in uh, my opinion. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I had a problem with some of the story not having consistency in terms of like what it was trying to do yeah so did did you have any other thoughts story-wise I think they were trying to tell a story about uh, kind of about grief um from Diana's point of view and I think it was about you know shutting yourself off and shutting down and so when we meet her at the beginning of the story all of her friends from the first movie they've all died including steve trevor but we see that she spent a lot of time with the other her other friends from the movie we see them in in photos and we see her with um etta and we see her at steve's farm and stuff like that but they're all long gone and i guess it's kind of it's kind of a trope of like the person who lives a really long time and eventually they see all their friends and they're loved ones die and then they kind of shut themselves off from humanity and that's kind of where we pick up with diana and i think it's sort of the idea of shutting yourself down after something bad happens to you and like not letting people in and then it's kind of it kind of stages of grief like when when steve comes back and she's like this is this thing that i want for myself and i'm not giving it up um i thought that was an interesting because obviously you know diana we see her she's like one of the big heroes and she's always so selfless and i think we saw her at least for a little while in this movie be pretty selfish she understands at some point that like having steve around is uh, not allowing her to fight these villains and yet she's like well there's got to be another way there's got to be another way and so i thought it was interesting it was kind of you know it was not having diana be this sort of perfect superhero this is kind of her falling off her pedestal a little bit I I think that's a great way to look at it in terms of her grief. Um, my my initial uh, hesitancy with this movie going into it was um, this is totally contradicting Batman v Superman, where she says, I walked away from mankind for 100 years. And it felt like to me bringing back Steve Trevor was basically destroying her entire arc in the franchise. Like her whole thing was like she comes to man's world. She falls in love. Uh, he dies. Uh, she saves the world, but then she's like, "I'm, I'm, I'm over this." And uh, then he comes back. I just, it just, the whole thing seemed like it was trying to uh, erase all of that, and I wasn't crazy about it. But that was actually when I watched the movie, it didn't bother me as much as some other things. So that initial hesitancy about the wish and about Steve Trevor, I got over it but at the same time by the end of it i was like oh we're just repeating the first movie because at the end of the first movie she has to say goodbye to steve trevor so she can save the world and that's what happens in this movie 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a really fair criticism of the movie. It's that we don't. And I think that's, you know, one of the, the drawbacks of having it set in the past. Once you have this universe set up where Diana doesn't kind of come into her own as Wonder Woman until is it Batman v Superman or is it later in, in Justice League that she actually comes out and like, I'm Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, she she makes her big, awesome appearance in, in Batman v Superman when she saves Batman. So that's that's yeah. the first time she supposedly uh, comes back into the world. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like they're like by setting it in the past, they've kind of tied their own wrists there in terms of like how much Wonder Woman she could be. I mean, they they have that mall sequence at the beginning, but then they like go out to pains to be like, everybody's like, I don't know, who is that lady? Yeah. She's like, it's not me, Wonder Woman. Like, <laughs> uh, but, shh. Uh, which was really cute. I like the mall sequence. I thought it was really funny. That but, was uh, cute. But, I, but I do think that like to a certain extent by setting it in the past, but also adhering to the timeline that was set in the previous movies, they were kind of in like a catch 22 where they were like, well, like there's not much, it kind of feels like that's maybe one of the reasons why it just kind of repeated the first movie's storylines to a certain extent, because there's, they couldn't kind of move beyond like, okay, she's going to save the day, but actually she can't yet because that's not how the timeline works. I kind of, I mean, I like, I like the setting, the time setting. I, I love the eighties. I, I used to watch all those, like, I love the eighties shows and stuff like that. I thought that they had a lot of fun with the time period, but I think in terms of like, wonder woman's development if they had said it post batman v superman like when she's actually you know out and you know heroing that might have been a better choice as far <laughs> as forward progression but yeah i i got into a, a conversation with uh some friends of mine i in my day job in my uh my uh my job outside of podcasting i work with museums and so i was asking them about you know how do, how do you think that uh museums were depicted in the, in the movie. And so there was a lot of talk about um, how Diana in 1984, I, I forget what she says, like a, the chat can help me out, but I think she says she's like a cultural anthropologist. Yeah. And, and so she, she's doing that in 1984, but like in the present day after, or, or during justice league or justice league as a lot of us call it, uh, she's like working with art and sculptures. And it's like, Okay, so I guess she just changed. I mean, she's I mean, she's been around for over a hundred years. Around, so what if she just like every you know couple decades, she's just like I'm so over this thing. And now <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a brand new direction. It's a it's a whole new Diana, and she just where <laughs> she really then she spends all her time being like she's like this is this is Diana the expert on this this and this. And it's like aren't you Diana the expert in that that and that? <laughs> she's like oh I'm an expert in everything. <laughs> yeah, she moves. She moves moves jobs she's working in washington dc here but in the uh justice league she's or no in at the end of uh, well during wonder woman the first one she's in paris working at the louvre and then i think she's in london at the end of that movie so i I'm think like, so yeah i don't i don't i don't know uh, <laughs> what if she had uh what if she really committed to like a specific museum and never left but she's like wonder woman so they were like oh yeah no um uh uh, Diana over in uh, uh, over in a ancient Rome. She's definitely immortal. That's <laughs> what you should know. First day, uh, <laughs> she's looked like this for seventy years. 
Um, but she knows all the good places to eat around here. <laughs> <laughs> She's been to all of them. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was fun to talk with my museum friends about that because uh, I asked them like how how did it de- how did they depict it? What well, what are your thoughts? And and one of them said, well, it looked like they had a lot of funding because there had so many employees like that. <laughs> if you're if you're a smaller museum, you don't have a lot of people working there because it costs money. Um, and then another one. Oh well, and then. Uh, they got and all that Maxwell Lord money. Yeah, and then another money. one, and another one got really frustrated uh, because uh, Mac, uh, Barbara gave Maxwell Lord an artifact and let him take it out of the museum. She's like, nobody does that. That's like illegal. <laughs> you can't do that. I do appreciate that Diana had like the same reaction to that. She's like, I'm sorry, you did what? And Barbara's <laughs> like, in my defense, he's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was some of that. Um, uh, if I get into my quibbles about this story, I feel like it's going to take a long time. Um, but would you indulge me? Of because, course, please. Because I think my biggest issue with this movie, because I liked some of the things that they did, because I, I don't want it to sound like I'm really harsh on the movie. I do have my critiques. But the writing, the like the dialogue was so bad. Um, the beginning, I, I, I really am getting sick of the opening narration. You don't need it. It's unnecessary. Get rid of it. I think Batman v Superman started it because uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck starts a, an opening narration at the beginning of that one. But that's because it it had it had like a some people have uh, analyzed it to be like a five act revenge play structure. And so like in a play that would kind of happen. That's something that you might do. And it sort of comes back around with Bruce's monologue at the end of the movie. But Aquaman had one. Uh, Birds of Prey had narration. Wonder Woman, uh, I think the first Wonder Woman had it, and then this one had it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, my gosh. I would agree with you. It. Like, I, I haven't watched Aquaman, but I saw, I caught a little bit of it on, like, TV, like, the beginning part. And I was like, yeah, what is this narration? I think it worked really well in Birds of Prey just because it was, like, quirky. It was, like, a weird, like, a quirky thing that they were doing. But, yeah, I agree. I don't know that it needed the opening narration in this one. Like, we got it. Like, it's it's little Diana. She's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I just, I'm getting increasingly sick of these movies starting out <laughs> that way. And I saw somebody, somebody tweet, I think, um, I want to live in the first 15 minutes of every Wonder Woman movie. And I feel like that's very accurate because the beginning part I loved with like little, little Diana and like running around and trying to, to do the contest with everybody. I thought that was, I mean, Themyscira in general is always, always a win in my book. I guess that was, I mean, it's, to be fair, it's the kind of the only way it would make sense for, I mean, I guess, does she go back to visit? <laughs> no, in this in this uh, iteration of the character, she's not allowed to. Oh, that's right. And in the first one, she says goodbye to her mother, Hippolyta, and it's like a big deal because she can't come back. I don't know if that was fully explained why, uh, but she can't she can't come back. That's why, like in the Justice League, Hippolyta has to shoot her an arrow to send her that message um, about oh. the invasion because she has to get a message to Diana. So. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I thought the opening sequence in, in Themyscira was like the best part of the movie. I, I really could have lived in that world for a while. Uh, I, I really thought that was good. And But the frustrating part about that is because I read an interview with Patty Jenkins who said that the only reason that she included it was because she thought that there would be some people who would go to watch Wonder Woman 1984 who hadn't seen the first movie. And so she wanted to explain mm-hmm. Diana's origin. And I was like, 
Don't worry about those people. They can just go watch the first one. I would also argue that it explains her origin in no way. No way. Whatsoever. Um, but but it was fun. It was fun. Like if it was like if I showed up for this movie and it was mostly little Diana and Themyscira just like messing stuff up, just being kind of like little Diana Dennis the Menace, I would, <laughs> I, I, would I would accept that as a fine motion picture. <laughs> Well, and the whole reason I think that that exists is because Diana learns the lesson about not taking the short path, which I think is supposed to be tied into the fact that she makes this wish that takes a short path to get Steve Trevor back. And and you can't do that because it's not real. It's not the truth. It's, it's yeah. fake. It's a phony thing. So I, I understand that. But Diana was already taking the short path just by being in the competition. She's <laughs> a demigoddess. Like she's she's already cheating and over above the Amazons anyway. So it's not like her playing fair would have been any fairer. She was already cheating. So the whole thing, the whole premise of that was a little silly. It looked great. Little Diana is awesome. That little girl, so I, I heard she did like all of her own stunts, all of her own really? writing. That's so awesome. She's a rock star. Uh, but I did have some issues for the, the why of it. I didn't really understand exactly why it needed to exist, especially when it never came back into play. Like, you never see them again. It never comes back. Um, so I really, I, I struggled with the opening narration. I think it's vague and unnecessary and I don't like it. Um, I also had a problem, uh, and this is a big one. I think this is something that we talk about on Supergirl Radio a lot. I rolled my eyes so hard at the end when uh, Diana defeated Maxwell Lord by using it. A hope speech. I laughed like, really, <laughs> really hard. Um, I was like, "Oh my god! How in how could she steal Supergirl's thing like that? What <laughs> is Supergirl's thing? Turning the TV cameras on and telling people in like a very stern tone to be nice to each other is Supergirl's whole thing. It's like <laughs> what she does at the end of every season. How dare you, Wonder Woman? How dare you step on her turf like that? I, <laughs> well, I thought it was especially so funny because I was like. First off, you took Maxwell Lord. Yeah. <laughs> straight out of Supergirl season one. <laughs> and then, and then you got to take her hope speeches. <laughs> but I, no, I mean, I, I think we, we might have had a different perspective on that hope speech just because of how like burnt out on hope speeches. I feel like we kind of are. It's just like, I get it. Let's all believe it the best of people or uh, et cetera, et cetera. But also, but also, this is not how you solve every problem every year. You can't, you can't, but she can and she will. Yeah. I think Supergirl fans, because I, I, I saw a couple of people tweeting us at Supergirl Radio talking about the hope speech thing. <laughs> it wasn't just us. Like a lot of people noticed it. I, I know why they did that though, because in the comics, Maxwell Lord, his biggest thing that he's known for, I think. Mm -hmm is that he's killed by Wonder Woman. She snaps his neck and and he dies. and Like, she kills him. So I knew they weren't going to go there. I knew they were going to chicken out and not do that. I think they had the setup for it because they say something like, well, in order to get rid of the Dreamstone, you might have to, you have to destroy it. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, so they didn't take that opportunity. Of course they wouldn't do it. But I agree. Like, you can't solve everything like that. It's just anticlimactic and i also i want to just stop and take a moment i was going to talk about this during our talk about um the direction mm -hmm. but i guess maybe now is a good time to do it uh as any i had a problem especially during that hope speech i i get why wonder woman 
is on the ground. I get it. Like, there's wind. It's forcing her down. But if you're going to have Wonder Woman on the ground when she's powerless and not able to fight, <laughs> I get that. I get I get. she's powerless. She can't do anything. Fine. But at the end, when she's fighting the bad guy, at least have her standing up. Maybe that's just me. At least I, upright would be great. Maybe she could at least be strong and standing up instead of backed into a corner on the ground. I just can't even understand that choice. It's something that perplexes me. I I just yeah, I didn't like the I, I didn't I agree with you. I didn't like the blocking of that. And I was also like, how windy is it? She's an Amazon. <laughs> like she's, she's the daughter of Zeus. I, <laughs> I feel like she should withstand. I feel wind. like if that's if they needed her for some reason to 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 be like pressed against a wall, like they needed to show us. I don't know. I mean, it looked windy, but it didn't. Maxwell Lord was like, hey, he was fine. I he was here. totally fine. He yeah. was fine. And like, I, I would never doubt Pedro Pascal. I wouldn't want to start. But uh, but still, he's not an Amazon. And so he's managing. Yeah, it was. I, I, I agree with that. Like, I thought that was a little weird. Like, the, the hope speech was a bit a bit heavy handed. Um, and then and then to have her like doing it while she's like stuck in a corner sitting down just kind of felt like a little anticlimactic definitely it was very passive and uh to me it just it, there was no heroic moment for wonder woman and i i, I didn't like that very much i um, feel like the wonder woman movies uh, and i i really liked the first one i think it's like one of my one of my favorite of the superhero movies i've seen recently and i, I but i feel like um wonder movies wonder woman movies have like a, a third act issue I don't know if this one had it like it was specifically a third act or a second act, one of the acts. Um, but in in the in the first one, I think it was kind of the third act where things got a little like hokey. Um, and this one definitely with the uh, with the hope speech was like, really, that's how you're fixing all of this. OK, and since we're since we're here, what are your thoughts on the fact because. One of my big issues, and and I'll get back to the dialogue because I have a lot of issues. Um, the the fact that like Maxwell Lord spends almost the entire movie messing up the world, and then he gets away with no consequences. He doesn't go to prison, and then I'm on top of that, I'm supposed to cheer on the fact that he reunites with his son. <laughs> I was so mad. I would have paid some kind of prize for that. So uh, the, I'm not sure that he didn't end up going to prison or having any kind of price. I think that probably happened off screen, but I feel like it needed to happen on screen, right? Yeah. Like it needed to happen on screen. Definitely. And it's not like <laughs> nobody knew that he was kind of behind this whole weird thing because he, he was on television. The television. Uh, he's, <laughs> things, can, things are good, but they can be better yeah. right on the TV. And it's like, Listen, Pedro Pascal is a is is definitely the band-aid you want to put over bad plot points because because he'll do something and I'll be like, I just like you. Um, but I don't think that it really papered over that at all. I when he reunited with his son, I think I was kind of fine with that choice being, you know, that he ultimately chose his family over being selfish. But then, like, there should have been some feds, like, literally arresting him right after that hug. And then I feel like I would have been okay with it. But the fact that we never saw any repercussions for him seemed crazy. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I'm okay with you reuniting with your son and making amends, but maybe you can do that behind bars. Uh, I, I was not pleased with that because then ultimately the story is pointless. It's absolutely <laughs> pointless. There's no consequences. Everything gets undone. Yeah, because they undo all of their bad choices. And so... So what was the point? <laughs> what, what was the point? What, in, what indeed? Um, uh, uh, Diana learned... Uh, a very good lesson about being being a strong independent woman. Uh, so there's that. No, I no, I agree. Like I think that I, I I don't think that the movie shuts the door on the fact that there's ever going to be repercussions for him. But I also don't think that the movie is interested in him after that scene where he hugs the son. They're like, okay, got it, done. He's cool. What? Sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, there were the major world into chaos. <laughs> yeah, there were major things that happened. I I feel like there should have been because it's not like it, it never happened. It's not like the wishes were undone. Everybody they, remembers yes. them. <laughs> yes, Diana remembered Steve. Um, I, I I just I think there should have been some. So that was one of my uh, quibbles with the story is that they had two villains in the movie who ne- who didn't even end up being portrayed as villains. And yeah. then everything was undone. No consequences happened to anyone whatsoever. Yeah. I I mean, we don't even know, like, what happened with Barbara. Is she still whatever Cheetah was that we, you know, Cheetah from the shadows? Uh, like, <laughs> I think she went back to being Barbara right at the end. But, like, what's her deal? Like, what's what's next for Barbara? Like, I feel like she's had, like, quite a weird week. I think she renounced her wish and she's no longer Cheetah and she's just Barbara again. And so what was the point of that? What if on Monday she goes back to to work and she's just like really awkwardly like, hey, Diana, I got you a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way you like it. You remember that time we fought in the White House and we (laughs) wrapped up a lot of people and destroyed some stuff? Who wants a croissant? <laughs> that that's the movie I want to see is Barbara <laughs> having to go back to work awkwardly on Monday with Diana trying to be like we cool. <laughs> uh, well, Claudia says uh, uh, agree. Maxwell Lord had questionable morals, but I don't think he did anything illegal per se. I don't know. He manipulated the U.S. government and um, got his way into coercing them to. Well, I mean, I guess he didn't co- coerce them, but he gave them the power to have all those nuclear weapons and manipulated the president and all this kind of stuff and worked his way into places he wasn't supposed to go into. And he didn't have really the the qualifications, the credentials. So I, I, I mean, would I would, I would press out. charges. I mean, we would have to we'd have to ask our legal consultants, but I feel like they would figure some way, some way to get him to get back to him. Like, I feel like they wouldn't just be like, Oh, yeah, no, we're good now. And at the very least, weren't they um, after him for all kinds of like fraud from his oh, company? Yeah. So yeah. Like, at the very least, like the I feel like the IRS is getting him. So yeah. and I think he says to his son, like, like, I'm going to go to jail or something similar. But I feel like there's a difference between having a character like proactively like, be like, OK, kid, I'm going to jail probably pretty soon. And then like being seeing the actual repercussions of like the bad behavior because you're right everybody else who did terrible things when they wished got to take it back they got to reverse it which is not how things happen in real life you don't just get to take back a bad thing you did you can feel bad about it (laughs) you can apologize but you can't take back the action so um but yeah you're right like the, the the ending kind of undid all the bad stuff which i you know at the point 
the ending was at, they kind of had to, or else the world was blowing up. But <laughs> uh, thus setting it, I guess, in the Cold War. But <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I thought that the they definitely should have like had his like things kind of come home to roost for Maxwell Lord. Um, yeah, otherwise it it's like, did the villain just get away? <laughs> Without any repercussions? I think both of them did. Uh, yeah, I it was that was annoying to me in, in terms of a, a storytelling level that there should have been some sort of uh, uh, situation there. Um, so I will say in terms of the story, before I get to my dialogue issues, I do think that this movie had some some, some themes. You talked about like, uh, you, and from your perspective, you, you thought it was about grief and that kind of thing. I, I did think that there were some themes that the movie tried to offer up in terms of connecting what was going on. So I think definitely there was a theme about taking the short path that um, you could cheat and win, but is it really a win? Um, And I think that the wishes, of course, in the movie are taking the short path. Um, And then there was also some talk about lies and how lies worked into the short path and the, the wishes and how that was fake. Um, And I think there was, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think, I think greed was a, you know, was a theme in the movie too, which is, I would assume why they said it in the eighties back, you know, that was sort of the decade when things were getting opulent and it was like, what clothes were you wearing and who, how much did they cost? And like the whole greed is good kind of um, thought process. The Gordon geckos of the world were kind of on top in the eighties. And I think you see that when you like watch those eighties movies and there's always like the, the one nerd that's getting pushed down by all the the preppy kids. And uh, so I, I feel like that's kind of, it's kind of tied into, you know, taking the short path and being greedy and not wanting to work for things. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that theme to me is the more of the greatness is not what you think uh, situation where uh, Max, yeah. Lord, Max Lord talks about his, you know, son, he, he encourages his son to wish for greatness and success, not for, for other things. And so I think there is something about how greed is represented as greatness and success. But my problem with that, if you're going to be like, okay, greed in the 80s that's why we're going to set it in 1984 so there was no greed after 1984 or before 1984 there's always greed i that to me oh well, yeah i think i think that decade had is kind of known for just like colloquially as like being like the decade where that kind of took off as um not like almost as an at admirable quality i think in the 80s where it was like it was kind of all about who you were wearing and and what you were driving and and you I I think you you sort of it was sort of the counter revolution from like the sort of the the civil unrest and everybody you know in the sixties and the seventies and all that war and stuff and so finally we get to the eighties and and things kind of calm down and everybody's like I just want to pop five collars and uh, <laughs> wear every item of clothing in my closet and do a Jane Fonda workout and uh, so so but, but why couldn't you though if you, could, if you were if you were successful and you wanted to pop that collar why not I think pop, that's fine pop every single one of those collars <laughs> I have no problem with that good but, for you that's your life um but so i think i think the idea of setting it in the 80s because of you know the the greed is good era it's just because the eight it's one of the things that the 80s was known for not that like no i mean there's greed in every era but i think it was we are free of greed morgan there's no more greed 
<laughs> finally we've done it uh yeah you should tell jeff bezos that but <laughs> no but i think that it's it's sort of that error was kind of it was like one of the things it was known for is like you know um the you know win like kind of a winners and losers kind of error where more is more i think you know 80s is like let's everything's neon and i'm wearing 50 items of clothing yeah they do hit on that pretty hard maxwell says the answer is always more and he says why not more why not wish for more you can have it all you can have <laughs> want it you never have to make a, a well no it, let's see that's not part of that uh it says uh, he says to his son, it takes time to become a great uh, number one man like your dad is going to be. So there is that instance of wanting more and and having more and being greedy about it. I think and, there's and all, kind of also gonna... just like how things look like it doesn't matter that he clearly, you know, he goes into this big building and he looks like a big guy. and He's got all these commercials on and then he gets to his his floor and it's nothing there's these empty cubicles there's nobody working there he's got like one assistant it's just the um it's the idea of the thing more than the thing itself yeah i i thought uh just as a side note i thought i thought raquel was the uh hardest working person in the movie she, she was, she really... was man she was putting in her she was putting in her hours she's like i'm i'm making it all the way to the top just like jane fonda told me to and that worked out <laughs> <laughs> she never gave up she ran after Max Lord to tell him about his son arriving. I mean, she she was working hard. So I he, give it up to Raquel. Whatever she was getting paid was not enough for what she had to deal with. <laughs> uh, I also thought there was a lot of talk about truth and lies. Uh, just in case you were wondering the amount of times they said truth in the movie, 15. Uh, the number <laughs> of times they mentioned lies, 8. Uh, where else, where else did I say, uh, number of times they, uh, mentioned, uh, wishes in the movie 91. So wishes definitely, uh, hit, hit really wow. hit the record for a number of times mentioned, but yeah, there was a lot of talk about truth. Uh, I think they, uh, showed the Watergate hotel, which is, uh, notorious for being associated with the Watergate scandal during the, uh, uh, the Nixon, uh, administration. So there's a lot of like stuff. And of course, you know, Maxwell Lord saying, you know, I'm not a con man and Diana talking about how the truth is bigger than all of us. So there's a lot, a, a lot of that stuff was repeated. You can find a lot of that stuff to connect it into a theme. But, um, but there was one instance um, that really drove me up the wall. And I'm very curious, Morgan, what your thoughts are on this. Um, because I know you're a better writer than I am. Uh, and so I just, I just want to hear your perspective. Okay. All right. So I'm going to pull up an overlay just so you can follow along with this. Uh, I would, I would call this the, um, the writing thought that this was an intentionally deep theme, uh, but I'm going to poke a lot of holes in it. Okay. So this is, uh, this is just a graphic um, talking about the dialogue here. So they uh, the writing repeated this idea that characters just just couldn't put things into words uh, because they just couldn't describe them. And and it seemed like the writing was trying to convince me this was some really deep concept that the characters were were dealing with. But after I started thinking about it, I was like, isn't it your job as a writer to tell me what those feelings are? Like you can say it's so <laughs> it's so it's so many things. But then I'm like, well, tell me what the things are. Don't just stop <laughs> it being. Oh, this is the, like Barbara says so many things. I don't even know what I would wish for. And Diana says he was all kinds of things, but he was great. Uh, she also says, um, you know, it's it's the one thing, the one thing that's always been you to me. And then she says, uh, why for once can't I just have this one thing, this one thing? And then the handsome man that uh, becomes Steve, he says, it's wonderful. It's so many things. And then Diana at the end, she's like looking up at this balloon. And she's like, so many things. 
so, so many things. And I was there are a so lot of things. Rebecca, so there are a lot of things in that movie. Just tell me what the your job as a writer, I feel. Maybe you can expand <laughs> uh, uh, you know, expand on this. Your job as a writer is to tell me what they're feeling. Tell me what those things are. If it's so indescribable for them, tell me what it is that they're feeling. I just I just thought that like the writing was trying to convince me this was some deep thing. I think that you can have a character who can't put their, you know, their emotions into words or they're not good at that. It can't be all of them. <laughs> it just probably shouldn't be all of them. <laughs> uh, I did actually the one line in there that when, when you went down, uh, which is so funny. Uh, but the one I did really like was when Diana says, why for once can I have just this one, Steve, uh, this one thing, Steve. Um, and, and that to me actually kind of hit when I was watching the movie, because if you think about it, she's given up so many things. And so, <laughs> so, so many things, Rebecca, <laughs> uh, but she's given up her home. She's given up, you know, her friends. She's had to watch all of them, you know, get old and pass away. And, and she's kind of given up her, you know, her um, society almost. And so, Steve was really this one thing that she was like, this is the thing I'm taking for myself. Um, yeah. And so, sure, it's slowly killing me, but we're going to figure <laughs> out, we're going to figure out how it to, for it to not slowly kill me. And it's, she's like, I don't know that that's a rock solid logic, but okay. <laughs> but I feel like, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like that to me, like, um, like I kind of relate it to it because I can kind of see like when you lose somebody, there's that bargaining phase where you're like, I just wish I had blah. Like I would give anything to get blah. I would get anything to have one more day. I would get anything to like have one more conversation. And so she kind of gets the opportunity to have that one more day or have those couple more days. And she's like, cool, I'm keeping it. <laughs> So we're, we're good now. Like, um, so I, I, I felt for her. I, I felt for like the emotion behind what was happening with Diana in, in, in that storyline with Steve and not wanting to give him up. And, and uh, I, I don't think she was ever willing to like let go of her power. She was just like, we're just going to find a workaround. <laughs> and he's like, there is no workaround. I am real dead. And so, <laughs> uh, but I just thought like the idea of like not being able to let go of something that's clearly in the past and that, you know, was great once, but like you can't, you know, you can't recreate things that are in the past. Once the past is the past, it's gone. You can't, you know, you can't bring it back no matter how hard you want to try. That line I thought was good. The other things, the other many, many things uh, was a bit much though. <laughs> so, so many things. Um, yeah. I, I, I like that from Diana that she has this struggle. I was um, surprised though, that they actually depowered Diana in this because there's a really controversial comic storyline. I think it was in the 1970s where they depowered Wonder Woman and oh really and Gloria Steinem of all people like fought to get Wonder Woman her powers back. Like it was a big deal that Wonder Woman she's was like depowered. she's like the only prominent female superhero at the time, and they're like, what if? she was human for a whole bunch of days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very shocked that, uh, that nobody like seemed to bring that up at all. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. Um, 
yeah, so that was my biggest qualm about the movie was the writing. I, and we'll we'll talk about some of the directing and some of like the character portrayals and things. Um, mm-hmm. But the writing to me was just just a little too on the nose for you. Little too on the nose, and and I think it could have gone. I, I think some of these movies uh, could really just go with a read through. You know, just just read it aloud before punch it up. Just punch yeah. it up a little bit. I, I think for me, I, I really liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I'll probably watch it again before they take it off of uh, HBO Max, presuming that I remember to do that, uh, <laughs> which is never guaranteed. But um, but I think it was at least a half an hour too long. Like when we stopped watching it, Mike and I were like, "Oh, that was fun." That was definitely too long, though. I think that they could have very easily trimmed out a half an hour of that movie and tightened things up, and it would have really helped. And I think just tightening things up is going to help the dialogue, too, because then you have to, you know, you have to kill your darlings a little bit. What do you actually need to tell the story? Do you need to maybe maybe define those things, (laughs) those things? There's so many of them. Should you define a couple of them? Yeah, if you, if you have to tighten it up, every word should have meaning. Every every word should have a purpose. Um, I guess while we're here, uh, Claudia says, uh, do you think that since Diana is immortal, she lost her zest for life? Hmm. I mean, I think that's sort of where we're meeting her. Like, not that she's entirely lost her zest for life, um, but I think that she's gotten jaded. I think when we meet her, she's gotten jaded. She's... Um, She's seen like the, the she meets a man that she loves and he dies and then she has a bunch of friends and they all probably slowly die. And then it's she hasn't, you know, she, she sort of sporadically superheroing, but it's certainly not what she's doing all the time. So I think that, yeah, I think we're meeting her in a period of time where she's sort of disengaged from the world. Um, and I think she kind of reengages a little bit when she meets Barbara and she's like kind of. She, you can see that she doesn't want to be open to a friendship, but then Barbara is like so weird and awkward, like a <laughs> like a baby deer learning to stand, and you're just like, oh God, I will help you, please stop. That <laughs> um, <laughs> it kind of reengages her a little bit in in what's going on, and uh, so I thought that was, I mean, but I think that like again, it's the um, I think it's kind of a trope. I I not to say it's cliche, but it's a trope in like having an immortal character that at some point they just kind of check out and because <laughs> they've been around so long, they've kind of seen everything. They've seen people come and go. And at some point it's like, why care? This person's just going to die in however many years. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, a sad part of her character, which is why I don't know if this is going to be explored in Zack Snyder's justice league, but, um, but the fact that later in her timeline, at some point she does meet the justice league. She meets, Bruce Wayne and she meets Clark Kent and Victor Stone and Barry Allen and um, Arthur Curry. So she meets these other people who are kind of like her. So I imagine that would be something that would, like you said, re-engage her with uh, humanity that she would find friends. And so uh, I like the idea of that, but it's, it's something that would happen many decades after this movie takes place. And, and speaking of which we have sort of kind of talked about the 1980s, for setting. Um, I had some problems with that too. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like I'm being really negative about this movie. There were some things I liked and we'll get to those. Um, but the 1984 time period was uh, to me a little pointless because uh, the one of the first promotional pictures we got for this movie was 
this one. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, 1984. So it's going to be like a Big Brother kind of thing, like George Orwell's 1984, where like Big Brother's watching you. That happened. Oh. That happened none throughout the that movie. That would have been a really good movie. <laughs> right? But the only Big Brother who was in this movie was Diana. She was watching everyone she knew where everyone was what they were doing she was she was the big brother of the movie and i was i was kind of mad because leading up to wonder woman 1984 i was like you know i've never seen that old 1950s version of george orwell's 1984 i'm gonna watch it and just you know prep for it because i thought maybe that's what they were gonna kind of maybe talk about because i think even in the comics maxwell lord um uh is connected to the i think it's uh the omac Big Brother, Brother I or something in the comics, mm. which is kind of like a Big Brother type thing. Um, never, never happened. Uh, so I was like, why, why, why would you, why would you do this? Well, why? I mean, I think even the, the Maxwell Lord that shows up in Supergirl is more 1984-ish than, I mean, he's got schemes and plans and he knows what's going on with people and he's, you know, using his wealth to throw things around. It's a, a lot different than this version where he's, kind of a just a con man who happens to find a, a fancy rock yeah so the georgia orwell thing not coming into play was a little disappointing and yeah, I, you're right you're right 84 would make you think that there was some sort of connection to georgia orwell or 1984 because they could have very easily made it wonder woman 85 86 87 yeah. 82. It could have been any time in the 80s. It didn't necessarily need to be 84. And I could see, like, I, I don't know why I, like, in my mind, never put that together that, like, you would think, looking at that title, that it would have something to do, some sort of reference, frame of reference to the pretty famous literary <laughs> work, 1984. So that's a, that's a good point I hadn't actually considered. I did not think about it that at all. I was just like, Ooh, fun 80s. So many colors. But uh, <laughs> yeah. What, like why, why 84 specifically then? Well, because I mean, if you're going to put something in a very specific year, I think it should be connected to something actually historic. Like in wonder woman, the first one they're in 1918, which is during world war one. So that makes sense. But uh, it's weird to me that they didn't really utilize the 1984. I mean, they had like the nuclear Cold War kind of stuff yeah. in there. But I mean, you could have utilized Steve Trevor with the space shuttle flights. You could have uh, tied that into the invisible jet and Wonder Woman learning to fly. I mean, the space shuttle in the 80s was a big deal. Um, they could have even, you know what else happened in 1984? The Olympic Games. They could have <laughs> tied that into the opening sequence on the Matthew. Diana just like just smokes everybody at the Olympic <laughs> Games. <laughs> so, so I think you could have found uh, actual historical moments in time that could have reflected the 1984 time period a little bit better than they did. But I guess we could go from here to talk about. So they're in the 80s. We're we're wearing 80s attire. Uh, how do how do you think they uh, what what would you what kind of score would you give them on like really bringing the 80s into uh, into being? So I don't know that I can personally score them as I was not alive in 1984. And so can't really judge the historical accuracy. I've, I I was a born a little bit later in the 80s. And so I think I mostly have my knowledge of the 80s through the 90s, essentially. Like I was I was growing up more in the 90s than I was in the eighties, I was not like jotting down like, cool. Um, but I, I thought that the time period, you know, 
they have a lot of very stereotypical 80s stuff. Think something big happens at a mall. Uh, <laughs> and, it had, of, and it had the, the mall had the like the brown and orange and yellow. Oh, uh, that was very incredible, big. In incredible. The 80s. Yeah. Um, there was a what? What was there? A, like a, a Walden Books in the? There was a Walden Books and an Orange Julius and a J.C. Penney. So I, I thought that was, that was a pretty yeah. good attention to detail. Yeah, I was excited about all the stores that they showed when they panned through the mall. Uh, I mean, it was complete fan service to people who like either likes the 80s or remembered the 80s. But I was still like, Walden Books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Uh, but yeah, I liked and, and the fashion I thought was was pretty fun, uh, especially with the, the Steve Trevor. He gets sort of the stereotypical like girl goes through the closet and tries on outfits montage. And listen, I know it's cheesy. But I loved it anyway. I was it like, it was a great scene. I was like, listen, I accept that this is who I am. Give me this cheese. <laughs> uh, I want to see Steve Trevor in every '80s outfit, if that's okay. Um, I thought, I thought Diana's '80s outfits were very understated. Like, I feel like most of Diana's '80s outfits she could still wear today and just be like, I'm bringing this back, and everybody would be like, cool. <laughs> We're good yeah. with it. Uh, there were like, um, I think one of my favorite barber outfits was like she was wearing like a long skirt and then short leggings, so that the leggings only stuck out about half an inch below the skirt. And I was like, oh god, if that's not eighties, yeah, yeah. And she and she used that to turn it into another outfit, which was smart. Which I respected, actually. I was like, yeah. now I understand the purpose of this outfit. I thought <laughs> her other, her second outfit, while a, a huge improvement, was also very eighties, where it was just kind of like an off-the-shoulder shirt, long shirt over leggings, and I was like, I mean, very eighties, but also, yeah, I could definitely see like some Instagram influencer wearing it now. Like, oh my god, look at this! It's vintage. <laughs> so my favorite Barbara uh, outfit is this one. Yes, I love so this, happening there. This this look where it looks sort of like a, I don't know if it's punk rock necessarily, but it's it's definitely uh, it's it's trying to be edgy. I think a little bit um, with the high the high thigh boots and um, the sort of <laughs> fur kind of jacket. I loved that. I loved it. It was it was uh, that look was like what if I threw five more elements on it? <laughs> it's like, it's leopard print. It's short. There's a fur coat. There are thigh high boots. All of these things should not go in one outfit. And yet here they are glorious. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great. Uh, she, I mean, Cheetah and Barbara, I, she had some great outfits. I thought there were some good, there were some good eighties looks. I think that they, um, sometimes I think when you see things set in the eighties, they go, a little too far with with the kitschy aspect of it and they're just like look at this the shoulder pads are huge and it's like diana's like they're shoulder pads but they're you know they work on me because i'm a beautiful woman um <laughs> but i think that like they they kind of they went a little understated with at least diana's like 80s fashion but i think it worked too i mean it's like not everybody in the 80s was walking around with hair out to here and like you know neon pink leggings so i mean i think it it, it felt period correct. Yeah, it is weird now that you mentioned um, uh, shoulder pads. That should have been a little more prominent. I think I feel like Diana had shoulder pads in at least one of the outfits, but they were like very subdued shoulder pads. I yeah. want like I remember what my mom's suits used to look yeah, like. In the 80s. They they would be As she would like high. take off the suit, and I'd be like, "What is this thing inside?" And yeah. she was like, "It's a shoulder pad," and I was like, "But why?" And she was like, 
Mm. Fun fact. No I never explained the shoulder pad when you ask, but why is this in here? Fun fact. This could be something that uh, I read one time that's not correct. So maybe it's not a fact. But I had read somewhere that the shoulder pad look was started by Joan Crawford. I don't know if that's oh, true. But I jo- want that to be true so badly. But, but Joan Crawford wanted to have like a, like almost kind of like a, uh, not a not a masculine look, but she wanted like a powerful look when she was in film. And so she wore a lot of um, shoulder pads. And so I don't know. I, I, I always thought that. that I, I think that the shoulder pad idea was like more women were kind of joining the workforce and, and being in like higher level jobs. And they were like, what will make men take me seriously? And um, apparently it was just very broad shoulders. Um <laughs> So spoiler alert, ladies, it didn't work, but <laughs> <laughs> nothing will. Um, but, but I think that was kind of the idea was like, was like these sort of, you'd see these working women with the, the shoulder pads and they were always so square too. I never understood why they yeah. were so square. So funny. I, I can remember like my mom going shopping for these jackets and I was like, could we, should you take those out? <laughs> Yeah, it it was uh, uh, it it was short lived in terms of like it it definitely ended at some point. Yeah, um, but yeah, they were a big thing. Um, uh, Electra WWF says Diana <laughs> should have had crimp hair. Uh, that was definitely a missed opportunity because I think that would have actually been really fun. Yeah, crimp hair or just like Aquanet, like or just like really big hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think uh, I think you could have gone either way. Um, uh, just just for funsies, uh, Nicole says I haven't been able to uh, to watch the movie, but I came here tonight for the costume review. I'm not disappointed. Uh, so yeah, I, I do have to throw it out to Diana's white dress that she wore to the oh yes the gala. Like that Gorgeous. thing was fire. So yes. many fire emojis. <laughs> I would I would wear that any day. That's a that's a great look. That's not an eighties look. That's a that's a timeless look. Is is that something only Gal Gadot? could pull off oh, because she has those long legs. I really mere humans, mortals <laughs> like the rest of us cannot, cannot pull that one off. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I think, uh, she really worked it cause she has, she's tall. She has, she has those long legs. Um, Let's see. Uh, Lynn says, I'm old enough uh, to not only have shopped and worked in malls in the 80s, but was skinny enough to wear parachute pants, too. Okay. <laughs> so we do have confirmation of the parachute pants. Um, I liked that scene with Steve just because it was nice to see Steve, I guess, in quotation marks, um, he he had his own opinions. He had his own uh, yeah. thoughts. And it was good to, like, see him as a character, like, try to adapt to, to things. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I like about Steve Trevor so much is like Chris Pine plays him is that he's so joyful. Like he comes back, <laughs> he's totally remembers being dead, but he's like, man, these clothes now are great. Look at me. I look amazing. And then she's like, <laughs> no, you don't. And he's like, I look even better with this fanny pack. And she's like, you definitely don't. And it's so funny. Like, I just love how, how much fun he had, like trying on all the outfits and being like, this is the one. Right. And she's like, no, that's I mean, that montage alone worth the uh, worth the time period entirely. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it. I, I felt his his um, relief when Diana said, OK, we can we can keep the shoes. And he, he got very <laughs> excited that something actually was accepted. Um, the the thing that I well, and I guess we could talk about some of the other thing, 80s things like Maxwell Lord offered to get Diana a 19 inch TV from Sears. 
I love that. Was that was amazing. <laughs> uh, Mark uh, HP1 says, more Joan about the shoulder pads, more Joan Collins in Dynasty than Joan Crawford. Mm -hmm. By the 80s, Joan Crawford was only relevant for her daughter's book. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, That's by the really 80s, cool. yeah, Joan, Joan Crawford uh, sort of uh, was sort of on the outs in the 80s, but uh, back oh, in yeah, like those the dynasty looks, I remember, yeah. I can remember seeing like reruns on TV. The hair was so big, and so were the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Every everything was like a weird satiny fabric. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they did lean into some of the 80s stuff. They had a TW Air. Uh, TWA airplane. They had a phone book and a phone booth and an exercise bike. Uh, they had uh, the exercise clothes that Barbara wore. I appreciated that. They had the short shorts for the guys and the, the leotards. Um, the thing that uh, really kind of um, the more I thought about it, I was kind of uh, trying to figure out what I thought about it. So there wasn't a lot of 80s music in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, that was disappointing to me personally because I love 80s music. So this was an intentional choice from Patty Jenkins. Um, she says, uh, I was, uh, let's see if I can read it from my Google Doc. She says, I was worried that I wasn't giving people enough 80s because the temptation is to go 80s, ha ha, and make all these 80s jokes and put it in and put in 80s tracks. We don't have a lot of 80s tracks because as soon as you do that, you're being self-referential. This should be like you're going to a massive tent hole, tent pole movie in the 80s that's completely authentic. So if you throw away the 80s part of it, it ends up feeling very 80s. Just throw that away and make a great movie. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Morgan? Do you think that was a good choice? Do you, do you understand her reasoning for it? So I, I think I understand her reasoning for it because I think it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, how, you know, sometimes you'll watch things that are set in the 80s and they go so far that it gets ridiculous. It's like just like a cliche of the 80s. It doesn't really feel much like the 80s. Uh, but then I think of like um, there was a little show on Netflix a couple years ago as a sitcom. I think it only had like one season called Everything Sucks. And that was set in the 90s and it had all the 90s music. And I remembered all of that music uh, from 90s, like from the 90s, from like watching old episodes of Nickelodeon and stuff like that. Like um, and it took me back, like watching that and seeing the time period and see and the music is part of the time period. Right. Like, how are you going to go back to the 80s and not listen to an 80s song? Like, that's what would have been on the radio. That's what would have been playing. Like, if you're going to score an 80s music score, I mean, score an 80s movie, score it with 80s music. You don't have to go for the like the big well-known you know songs that are going to be like cliche but you know there's you're talking about a whole decade of music you could have found some good things in there i'm thinking of um the episode of black mirrors i think it's san junipero where they go and they jump in different decades and uh i think in the 80s they they play like heaven is a place on earth and it didn't feel like it was you know pandering to 80sness it was just that's a song you would have heard in the 80s yeah yeah, I, I get what she's saying. Like she wants the movie to stand on its own and not be uh, just like a like a, hey, we're watching this because it makes me think about the 80s and I have a nostalgia for that. And I, I totally I totally get that. Um, but f force and I thought Hans Zimmer did a really great job with the score. He, he had a really good a theme for Cheetah. He had um, some cool that Themyscira track on the score Ooh. is amazing. So good. 
really really good and he i wish we got i wish we got more of like the wonder woman theme because that thing is like i love that theme it just goes like it starts like normal and then it just goes nuts and you're like what's happening (laughs) Uh, he did play with it he did variations on it and so i like that and it it's refreshing to me because ever since batman v superman the scores for the dc films have been kind of They've been fine, but like Hans Zimmer is a real pro. Like he knows what he's doing and he does a great job with it. And he tried to incorporate some synthesizers into some of those tracks. So I like that. But Hans Zimmer was in the music video for the Buggles video killed the radio star. Like he he is a guy who did music in the 80s. He was a musician in the 80s. Why would you not utilize Hans Zimmer to develop more of those things they had one 80s track in there uh what was the song uh i have it somewhere in my notes someone tell me it's the (laughs) the pleasure dome welcome to the pleasure dome frankie goes to hollywood so they had that one track but morgan if you will indulge me (laughs) i just want to uh remind people about some of the songs that were big hits in 1984 because it's going to make you upset that they didn't utilize <laughs> some of the tracks. Okay, so here, here's just a sample of some songs that were hits in 1984. Footloose by Kenny Loggins. When Doves Cry by Prince. Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Purple Rain by Prince. Hold uh-huh. Me Now by the Thompson Twins. What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart. Uh, ZZ Top's only big hit, Legs. Um, Elton, Elton John, uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues. I mean, they could have put, they could have played legs when she was getting out of that limo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Karma Chameleon, Culture Club, Jump by Van Halen. Also Jump For My Love by the Pointer Sisters, which is one of my all time, fun- uh, favorite, um, 80s songs. I actually want to be a Pointer Sister when I'm in the car by myself singing that song. <laughs> um, Thriller by Michael Jackson. Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Cindy Lauper, Time After Time, Cindy Lauper, The Heart of Rock and Roll. Huey Lewis in the News had a lot of big hits. I Want a New Drug, If This Is It, Let's Hear It for the Boy. Um, I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters, Dancing in the Dark, Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> Borderline, Like a Version, uh, uh, Madonna, The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. Come on. Um, I Just Called to Say I Love You, Stevie Wonder, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Wham, and then Banana <laughs> Rama's Cruel Summer. And I just read that list and I'm like, why? I mean, why would uh, you not use that? Those are the 80s. That is the 80s. As somebody who lives in New Jersey, I must say, I'm offended that there was a a possibility that Bruce song could have been in there that they overlooked. Come on. (laughs) I I, I know you don't want to fill it all with 80s tracks, (laughs) but I, I think there was one sequence where they could have put another one in there. So there's a sequence where Diana takes Steve around to kind of introduce him to the 1980s. And like, she takes him on a subway, you know, she shows him break dancing. Um, the music that underscored that was like, uh, I don't, I didn't take the time, sorry, to look up what the uh, the music was during that sequence, but I'm pretty sure it was some sort of classical tune uh, that was very pretty and artistic. They're breakdancing. Put an 80s track there. I know. I mean, I think um, like that, the trying on montage, by the way, is a tried and true trope. And you always play like a popular song in the background. It's what makes it fun. <laughs> like, I don't think that they did. They play a a song when he was doing his montage. Like it, it wasn't an 80s. Thing. 
It's a perfect opportunity to play an 80s song when he's trying on 80s clothes. That's like a slam dunk. <laughs> I just, I, I read that list and I was so heartbroken because all those songs are just, they're so iconically good. And um, like 80s music is so fun. I think most people have like an affection for 80s music. Like you're not going to go wrong. You're not, people aren't going to be mad that you had fun music in your fun movie. Like, come and, on. And the fact that, and I know Patty did this as a directorial choice and I respect that it's her movie. She made the movie she wanted to make, but she handicapped Hans Zimmer to force him not to do that. And he was like, in the Buggles video, video killed, <laughs> video killed the radio star was like the first music video that played on MTV. I know uh, that's, that's, that's a big deal. I, if I if it had been me, if it had been my Wonder Woman movie, I'd be like Hans Zimmer, go nuts on the synthesizer, do <laughs> your thing, my man, go nuts. So that was really More disappointing. The better, please. <laughs> yeah, I I loved what he did with the score. I thought he did a great job. I just thinking about it more. I wish there had been something else there because I, I think that would have helped it feel more in the eighties. And while we're on the score, indulge me if you will on this, there is a track that they played when uh, Diane is given the hope speech uh, about truth and whatever hope, hope, hope. Um, there is a track from Batman V Superman that plays in there called beautiful lie. Now, I love Batman v Superman. I'm appreciative of the fact that they actually used a track from a previous DC movie because uh, the Justice League uh, rarely did that. And it was very disappointing that you couldn't hear other themes from the world and the universe in that movie. But that's Batman's theme. It's it's Beautiful Eye is Batman's theme. Like it's his theme music. And <laughs> I thought it was very strange. And it sounded like they were using that track as what's called a temp track when you're editing a film. Yeah. So like when you're editing a film, if people don't know, uh, filmmakers will sometimes put in tracks from other movies or classical music <laughs> yeah, tracks it, in there. If you've ever seen like, um, like early cuts of things, it's, it's funny sometimes because it'll just be like the weirdest music in the background. So, so they do that so that they have something back there so they can kind of cut to the, the emotion of it and sort of feel like what the scene would feel like if they had that music. And I think while they were doing that, uh, Patty Jenkins, you know, really liked the way it made her feel, I guess. And Hans Zimmer was like, well, I wrote that piece of music. It's for the universe. We can just leave it in. And I get it. I understand it. I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> because that's it's not her theme it's not meant for her it's meant for batman so i thought that was a weird choice so a lot of the music the score was great but i thought some of the music choices in this were pretty weird honestly. yeah i i think that the lack of 80s music honestly was almost a little jarring in a movie that's set in the 80s that's so 80s as this movie where there's an 80s you know outfit montage like I, I guess I, I guess I I understand what Patty Jenkins was kind of going for, um, but I don't understand. Like if you're gonna if you're doing an '80s outfit montage, like you've leaned hard into the decade, right? So just lean all the way and give us the '80s music we want. Well, and if you were wanting to recreate an '80s movie feel, like I think she moved she made this movie to try to get the feel of like if you are watching an '80s movie, which I think is cool. I think that's a, a good approach. But if you think about 80s movies, 
they're defined by those 80s tracks. Like, you know, you're watching an 80s movie because you hear like the synthesizer. So like many synthesizers. Be- Beverly Hills Cop is famous for that. Yeah, that's what it is. Like that, that music is very, um, very 80s. Like you, you talk about, you know, Footloose and uh, what's the movie? A uh, Flashdance. Flashdance, yeah, a, a famous song from Flashdance. I can't remember. It totally is. Uh, we were actually so I don't think Mike's seen either Flashdance or Footloose, and we were having the Flashdance versus Footloose. What should we watch first? Debate. And now I can't remember the song at all. Let me look at that. If anybody in the chat knows that famous song from Flashdance, uh, I'm trying to. Oh, oh. What a feeling. What a feeling. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Lynn got it before I did. And, and actually, Electra's also right. Maniac is uh, 100%. Oh, yeah. that's, like a, that's the big one. Yeah. That's when she's doing the dance and the water. And- <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, uh, uh, that actually reoccurs in a Tommy Boy. I think it's Tommy Boy with Chris Farley. <laughs> Does it? The best. That's the best. So funny. Um, yeah, so, uh, sorry, I'm taking that off. Um, yeah, so I just think if you're going to make an 80s movie and you want to make it feel like an 80s movie, those tracks are important. Nicole says, give me all the guitar I can handle in an 80s film. And it, yes, please, like, lean into the to, de- to the decade. Like, what if you were turning on an 80s movie, you would get the synth, you would get the guitar. There would probably be a song in there that was popular at the time. Like think about like when we're watching movies that come out now, they usually put a popular song in there somewhere. Um, The same would be the same is true of the eighties. So if you're making a movie set in the eighties, it's not like cliched to put eighties music in there. That's what they're listening to in 84. Yeah. I I get why she did what she did, but I I don't know. And I, I I it sounds like she, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think she toyed with it. Like, I think she really kind of struggled with that choice. But my personal preference, I think it's I think it's the wrong choice. But I'm glad she made the movie she wanted to make. Um, I guess we can move on. And since we've talked about Patty Jenkins a little bit, what what do you what do you think of Patty Jenkins' direction? Uh, are, are there any things that really stuck out to you about you know certain shots you liked or some of the ways she handled some of the characters? Yeah, I think she's. A, I I like Patty Jenkins as a director. I really loved, obviously, in the first Wonder Woman movie, the um the No Man's Land sequences. I think the one that everybody talks about, where you know a lot of people, it gave them chills. I I remember tearing up a little bit in the movie theater. Uh, so there weren't any of those kind of sequences here where I felt that same emotion. But I did love the beginning, uh, that whole beginning sequence in Themyscira. I think Patty Jenkins is really good at directing action, um, which is kind of why I was a little disappointed at the cheetah fight, honestly, because I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I thought that there was um there were some really good um really good moments in, in the movie. And I like the I like the mall fight at the beginning. It was it was very like very 80s, very over the top. It's in a mall. She like she's holding the guy upside down. She goes shh to the little girl. I thought that was adorable. Um, and there were some, there were some really fun moments. I think that moment when they're on the road and she kind of like jumps over the car and the car spins, that was like very, very over the top and dramatic. Um, obviously I love the all gold silver, uh, all golds, um, and no silver, uh, armor that she, that she puts on. It's, it's insane looking and I love it. Um, and I, I like the way that like, you know, when, when she appears in that, it's like a big moment. 
but there was there were a lot of a lot of moments in that I liked in the movie that I'm probably forgetting. But I think I, I think that I generally enjoy um some of Patty Jenkins stuff. This is probably only the second or third thing I've seen her do, but I I like it. Yeah, I, I thought she handled a lot of the action uh pretty well. I thought I mean the all the moving parts of the thin mascara opening, there's so many moving parts to that and and it's it's very seamless and it makes a lot of sense. Like you can even follow what Diane is doing that she missed. She missed one of the things she was supposed to hit. And that's why she's cheating is because she skipped one. And so I, I thought that the way that she uh, shot that so that it was, it was very clear as to why Diana had been cheating and why, and why Antiope was like, Nope, I'm taking you out of this. Um, so I thought that that was really uh, well communicated. She handled a lot of uh, moving parts. Um, just while we're here, since you mentioned the golden armor, I just uh, grabbed some screenshots in case people wanted to know more about the golden armor. I don't know a ton of it, but I know some places where you can go check it out. Uh, it made, I think, its first appearance in Kingdom Come, which is a uh, is a graphic novel. It's sort of like a, an Elseworlds kind of tale. Um, she uses it there. Uh, she also, uh, I actually, I think this, uh, our world's at war, I think as I read it very quickly, I think it's Hippolyta that wears it. Oh, um, so that's a little bit different there, but, uh, our world's at war. Number one is also where you can find it. Um, it also appeared in wonder woman rise of the Olympian. So she wears it there. I've got a couple, I think of screenshots of that. Yeah. This is wonder woman rise of the Olympian where other, Amazons are also wearing uh, the golden, well, it's not golden armor for them. It's like a blue one and sort of a pinkish, I don't know what kind of color that is, more like a pink slash brown, maybe. <laughs> um, so there's that. Uh, and there's also Wonder Woman uh, number 144, which you can check out. Um, so oh. that's um, so those are all the, the moments of the golden armor in case you wanted to go uh, learn more about that. So it was something that was pulled from the comics. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I I love the golden armor. It's like so it's so huge like over the top. It's and and, and, and dramatic looking. It just looks really cool. Uh and I like the story the sort of the story behind the golden armor and uh and so I I liked that aspect of of the movie and, and the way that that kind of presented itself is very dramatic and like uh sort of a big set piece when she shows up in it. The only issue I had with the golden armor is that when I was looking at the comic book iterations of it, she really only wears it for two reasons. One, if she's depowered and one, if she's going into battle. Now, you could argue that she wore it to go into battle with Cheetah, but I was like, well, why didn't she wear it when she was depowered? I think that would have made more sense. It's it's because of the structure of the movie. You're not going to pull out your fancy gold armor in the second act <laughs> when it's going. It's when it's really going to wow in the third. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that's that's when she should have had it. Is is when Cheetah uh, had a, a way better, you know, possibility of hurting her. I mean, I get why they did it there at the end, but uh, but I just after the fact when I was reading stuff, I was like, well. <laughs> I could have done it another way. Um, but I do think the tying into the uh, the post-credit sequence there at the end was a smart event. So, so we got to see President Wonder Woman. We uh, did. Another Supergirl connection. Oh, my gosh. So many. I was. <laughs> Uh, that little, that little section at the end was so exciting. I loved that little bit. Uh, just, 
just Linda Carter should have everything that she wants. <laughs> <laughs> I think they saved her for the sequel because I, I don't think they wanted to include Linda Carter in the first movie so that like Gall could have her time to shine, which I think is yeah. the right choice. Uh, but you can put her in a little a little Easter egg there at the end. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Wonder Woman 3, we know that's confirmed that they're going to make another one. I don't know if it's going to be like Diana and Asteria, you know, teaming up. I don't know. I've, I would watch that movie, but uh, Wonder Woman 3 to Wonder Woman. <laughs> uh, my question is, uh, Donna Troy, anyone? Let's put her in there. I would get all the all the Wonder Women. Uh, Cassie, I'll just put all of them in there. Uh, that would be oh, 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 in, into the Wonder Woman verse. <laughs> every, every different Wonder Woman. That's our pitch. Uh, just well, I it's, love a free, it. it's a free idea. Uh, free we'll idea see. for you, Patty. <laughs> We're just putting it out there in case you want to go there. Speaking of comic book connections, what did you think of the invisible plane? Because I thought I had two feelings about it. One, I thought it was incredibly clever and I liked it a lot. Two, I felt like they should have built up to the fact that she could make things invisible. That's that's the problem. I have the exact same sort of like. I thought it was so cool. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. This is how you work in the invisible plane. Like, how do you work in the invisible plane? Like, look at that thing. It's hilarious. (laughs) One of the best Wonder Woman things because it is so insane. Uh, And the fact that they figured out a way to kind of work it in that made sense, that, like, didn't make me go, like, that's so cheesy, but was fun, I thought was awesome. But on the flip side, they needed to have built up, like, even just seeing her holding something and making it go invisible and being like, I'm getting good at this. Like, early in the movie, would have done it. <laughs> I have that exact same thought because I I also thought it was really clever. And when when they got, I didn't, I didn't piece it together when they got into the plane. And when it happened, I was like, oh, that's genius. That's great. That's yeah. great. Because the invisible jet, to your point, is one of the goofier parts of Wonder Woman mythology. It could easily be super, super goofy, but they made it work in a way that made sense. And it was convenient for the story. Like they were able to travel to Cairo, uh, you know, without having to go through radar and, and being tracked down. So it was actually very beneficial for them in the story. So I thought that was really um, clever in, in the way they worked it in. But I also agree with you that they should have built up to it because all of a sudden she had this power and she did it perfectly and she did it for this big thing. I My my solution to that is that they should have used it during little Diana's uh, <gasps> challenge. Yes. Where maybe that's how she cheats is that she makes herself go invisible. That's Or you could have seen her like throughout the film like trying to do it in certain points. Yeah. Like it needed some, it needed some lead up because as it was, you needed a huge exposition dump of like, I've been trying to do this thing and I've only done it on small things. It's like, have you, we haven't seen any evidence of that on screen. And that's, that's what we're, I understand that you're old and you've been around the block and maybe you've made pencils disappear, but like, we haven't seen any of that. And I think, (laughs) I think like having either, having tied it into the Themyscira bit or even earlier in like, just in the 84 timeline, like just any little bit to tie that in, I think would have made it perfect. Like as it was, I thought it was like really clever and well done, but like it did come out of nowhere. <laughs> to to be fair, let's, uh, you know, precision it matters. It wasn't a pencil. It was a coffee cup and she lost <laughs> <That's> it. Right. <laughs> she lost it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
So, yeah, I thought the invisible jet was awesome. Uh, and I thought the whole sequence of them flying through the fireworks, I thought that was beautiful. I thought so cool. that was one of the, and I think that's a great way to bring in the romance part of it. It's, you know, it's very romantic, then flying through the fireworks with all the lights and, you know, the, the metaphor of the firework in terms of romance that, you know, you know, you're with somebody you're supposed to be with because there's fireworks, you know, you feel it, you feel those fireworks. So um, I thought that that, that was a good use of that. And I thought that whole sequence was great. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought, I thought you had something. Oh, no, uh, no. Okay. Well, um, so I have a couple more things I wanted to mention about the direction. Um, I thought Patty Jenkins did a really good job of revealing that the handsome man he's credited in the, the movie as handsome man Um how handsome man turns into Steve Trevor. I thought that the camera work on that was good because when I watched it, I understood what was happening. That could easily be very complicated and messy if you didn't do that well and you would confuse the audience. And the way she did that, I thought made sense. Like I understood what was happening. So I applaud uh, Patty Jenkins for that. And it wasn't very hard. She just kind of did a couple of turns around the person and then eventually it became Chris Pine uh, so I, I thought that was really well done. <laughs> and uh, I loved the White House fight sequence. I thought that was great. The One of the shots that they used in a lot of the trailers was like Wonder Woman kicking out her leg and it was an extended in like a slow-mo shot. That was awesome. Some of that Wonder like the Wonder Woman action stuff, like well, the use of the lasso when she was like spinning it really fast and blocking bullets. I thought that was a great use of the lasso. Even the uh, lasso bit where... Um, she stops the bullet from hitting uh, Steve Trevor in uh, Cairo uh, when she spots the bullet kind of going past her and she uh, get, stops that one bullet. I thought the lasso stuff was really good. Um, so I have to give it up to Patty Jenkins because uh, to your point, I think you mentioned it like she's really good at the action sequences. So um, those are things that I really uh, enjoyed. Um, were there any things that you didn't like about the direction um, that we haven't talked about? Not that I can think of, really. Okay, well, uh, let me mention one. Uh, <laughs> so, so there was one other thing, uh, other than the um, uh, the the bit where like she's sitting down in both of her moments where she maybe should have been more heroic and standing up. Um, I had an issue with this shot or this whole scene because this is the big. Saying, go saying goodbye to Steve Trevor again. This is a big decision for Diana. She's got to give him up in order to save the world. And they just, they're just standing next to a wall. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing like romantic or impactful or epic about it. And what frustrated me was I went looking for other locations in Washington, D.C. that maybe they could have used. There is a World War I memorial on the Washington mall and it existed prior to 1981 i think it uh it uh has been in, in existence since 1981 so it would have been there in the time period of 1984 my solution to fixing that problem of making that more interesting is having them say goodbye at the world war one memorial oh definitely that's i mean that's would have so much impact and emotion would tie into the first film so much like yeah that's i just Look how look how uninteresting that is to me. To me, as someone who like wants to be like a camera operator and a photographer, I just look at that and I'm like, "That's all. That's the best you could do." Yeah, I think I think it was it was impactful 
when she like walks around the corner and walks away from him and like doesn't look back and just kind of runs. But that could have been anywhere. Like you don't need it yeah. to be a, a literally a like cinder block wall <laughs> for that. Maybe that's just me. It's just a it's just a me wanting something a little better. I just I just know locations are a really big deal and uh, just where you put people. I thought should have been more, more tied to their characters than what they had. I did like how she, she had to kind of leave him behind, but then we don't even see like what happens to him, you know? And, and I guess at that point, Patty was saying, you know, let's have the focus be on Diana. Cause this is her choice. This is a big deal for her character. So I get that choice to like stay on Diana, but um, I don't know. The world. Yeah, I, I liked I liked that cho- the choice to stay on Diana. Like she lets him go, and then she t- runs away, and like doesn't see you know the re- like she doesn't ha- have to wa- see that he's you know Steve is leaving. Um, but yeah, I, it, it wasn't a very impactful place that they were at that she was doing it. So, uh, yeah, it it's it's one of those things where like if it was my movie this is what i would have done so i really can't fault for patty jenkins again i think she made the movie she wanted to make but i would have made some different choices but i'm also not a big film director who makes big blockbuster wonder woman movies so i probably don't know what i'm talking about um so i guess since we've been talking a little bit about the character arcs um what did you think about each individual character so i guess we could start talk i mean we i guess we talked a probably about diana at great length um yeah but uh, um what did you think about the performances i guess is what we could talk about i thought the performances were all really good i think uh i think gall is it gall godot yeah uh i think i think correctly it's gall so think of it as like i guess g-a-l-l or maybe Mm -hmm. you could say g-a-u-l is how you maybe never know how to, is her last name is the T do, do you say the T I think it's Godot. like it's Godot. very it's okay. very faint like you don't say Godot. It's <laughs> but it's like it's not Godot either it's like yeah because I, I had previously been saying Godot, and then I saw somewhere it was like you say the T and I was like you do yeah. um because I'm we know we know from experience that I'm very bad <laughs> I was going to try to say the one I can't say. And then I, I forgot what it was. So that's <laughs> how traumatizing that was for me. Um, but no, I thought everybody was really good in this movie. I thought the performances were really well done. I thought um, that Gaul was really great. Chris Pine. I love the, the uh, chemistry between her and Chris Pine. Like I can understand why they decided to bring back Steve Trevor, even though he's been dead for like, so long by 84 and it's because they have really good chemistry and they play really well off of each other and they have such a fun dynamic of like I love Steve Trevor he's just like so fun and supportive and he's like really upbeat about everything and he's like it's full I'm dead um I feel like the wish storyline was a situation where you couldn't think too much about what was actually happening because then you started to feel weird. Then your tummy kind of felt like, "Mm, is that okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because essentially Steve Trevor is inhabiting the body of another human being. And then they're just like doing stuff. And so I (laughs) did that guy was he cool with that was he down with steve trevor taking his body around on a fun vacation uh because (laughs) 
he might say yes. He got to I have mean, he he had romantic relations with Diana. He got to go to Cairo. He got, he to, got he to do got, some great things. He, he got, got to do pop arts sites and yeah, <laughs> really do really and and finally wear that outfit he's always wanted to that his <laughs> friends don't agree with him on. Uh, but I do feel like it's one of those things where it's like you kind of have to turn your head your brain off because when you start to think about it things start to get a little murky and then it's like, Ooh, this is not maybe great. Uh, but also uh, I think I, I read some stuff about how body swap movies were kind of a huge thing in the eighties. And so I think this is kind of an homage to the quintessential eighties body swap movie. Uh, obviously the most famous of which is big. Uh, with Tom Hanks. Yes, um, which also has some questionable things there because you have like oh, a sure. teenage, teenage boy having romantic relations with a, a grown woman. So yeah, mm-hmm. th- yeah, that is that is something that did happen in 80s movies. It's a, I feel like the 80s movies and, and this one, it, there's a little couple of like things that make you go, hmm, moments where you're like, I'm going to, you know what? This is a romantic moment. So I'm just going to turn that section of my brain right off the section that's like, what about that poor guy? Shh, don't. Well, don't I think about him. <laughs> I, think that, I think the movie tries to make it okay at the end when you see him have that interaction with Diana. I guess yeah. it's supposed to make that okay. I just kind of felt like they maybe didn't need the body swap aspect. I, I get, I think I get that they were trying to do like, you know, body swap movies were huge in the 80s. Let's do a body swap. But it didn't really add anything to the film really because we saw chris pine the whole time you know that thank thank god chris pine's great (laughs) yeah Uh, not to say that handsome man's not great i forget his name he was actually on a a short-lived cw show called the ringer that i yes he was only myself probably watched i watched every episode of the ringer yeah that show was wild capital letters (laughs) it was actually pretty good it was so it was ridiculous and i enjoyed every minute of it i had to cover it for some site at some point and every time i was like what is ringer gonna do this (laughs) i can't can't." um so as soon as i saw him i was like ringer dude Um, (laughs) i was really happy about him uh being in there good for him really good for him but um but we we see him like twice in the whole movie so the body swap aspect of it is inconsequ- inconsequential, basically. Like, he's never, you know, it, it's never like one of his friends bumps into him and is like, Steve, what do you, like, or like, Bob, what are you doing here? Um, and he has to, like, talk his way out of anything. He's not like a high-ranking government official or something where he can get them into a, you know, a secure location. There's really no reason to not just have the wish be that Steve comes back period that steve is just back and then when she undoes her wish steve just kind of like floats away (laughs) yeah i think the idea is like it was bringing his soul back because he talks about going to some sort of afterlife kind of thing so i guess they just needed a body but to your but to your point it would have been more effective if he had some sort of clearance i think i was i was resentful that the body swap aspect made me have to think about the morality of uh (laughs) of that pairing because I was enjoying them so much. I was like, yeah. Oh, Steve and Diana, they're so cute and they're so fun. And then I was like, 
oh, but technically he's in somebody else's body, and that makes me feel weird. Like, if you just take that aspect out, I can just enjoy it full stop. And yeah. there's really, and I could almost see it if there was some story reason for it to exist. But since there never was, it was just like kind of like making me feel weird for no reason. Um, Pretty Girl Ninja in the chat says the magic stone can make giant walls and nukes appear, but can't bring back Steve's body. Kind of weird limitation to the stone. (laughs) Like your your movie is based around a magic stone that Pedro Pascal becomes. (laughs) Go, go, Go all the way. You can just... You can just make Steve Trevor come back. Pedro Pascal becomes a wishing stone. I mean, <laughs> we can we can just go all the way uh, all the way into the ridiculous at that point. Yeah, it's magic. It can do anything, uh, <laughs> anything at all. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's a tough one because I, I understand. Again, a lot of this movie is like I understand what they were doing. I don't know that I care for it, but I, don't, but, but I, don't I get it. That, if that's the, I don't know if that's the choice I would have made. And I think <laughs> that there probably was a better choice that was just one inch off the choice that was. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem with this movie, which I did enjoy. I feel like I've been harping along on it and I enjoyed it. I'll watch it again. It was a fun movie. Um, but I feel like most of the things I had problems with were just like a tiny tweak away from being just fine for me. But it was just that tiny inch that's like, oh, so close. <laughs> yeah, if you don't think about it too much, it's it's a rewatchable movie. Like I've, oh, yeah. I've I've rewatched it several times, and it's 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 a movie that you can just kind of, I guess, turn your brain off a little bit and just watch it. Um, so there's that. Um, I thought the acting was pretty great in this movie. I, I thought um, Pedro Pascal. I think he was like the MVP. He was. I mean, Pedro he Pascal. Was, can he can can the man do any wrong? He is um he's baby Yoda's dad and <laughs> <laughs> and he really I mean he really sold that character because I think on the page Maxwell Lord is not very interesting at all. But I think Pedro Pascal really brings something to like just like an intensity and kind of a like just a crazy need for like acceptance to that role where you're like he's terrible but i'm still watching like i want to know what he's going to be up to yeah i think gall has really come into her own as wonder woman like you don't have to worry about her doing a good job as wonder woman she's just she she is wonder woman and i think she did a really great job with the emotional scenes and the chemistry with um chris pine and steve trevor i thought they were great but i thought pedro pascal was this the scene stealer of everything he really went for it in every scene that he uh was in so i guess that brings us to the point maybe that we could talk about the two Maxwell Lords uh, that we've been given <laughs> one on the small screen, one on the big screen. Um, so I guess uh, my, my question here, Morgan is um, which, which Max Lord did you like better? I, if you want to, I can, yeah. I can, I can give you a rundown of some of the things that happened in Supergirl season one. If you, if you can't remember everything that Maxwell Lord was up to. Oh, I remember Maxwell Lord quite okay. well. Okay. No, but uh, I actually think that you should give me a rundown because I, I forgot. And I think uh, our listeners always remember more than me. That's for, I take that for granted. But some of them might have forgotten some of his dastardly deeds. So Because I forgot a couple of things. I um, sure did, too. I, I looked over this. I skimmed over your list earlier. And I was like, what? 
<laughs> so I, I think it's fair if we're going to compare them. We know about Pedro Pascal since we've been talking about the movie, but let's revisit Peter Fashionelli as Maxwell Lord in Supergirl season one. So in uh, season one, Maxwell Lord is the founder and CEO of Lord Technologies. Uh, he didn't like the government because he blamed the government for the death of his parents. He was kidnapped by Reactron. He flirted with Cat Grant. He tested Supergirl's abilities. He built a train called the Super Rail. He discovered Supergirl's secret identity. He considered Supergirl a threat. He created Bizarro. He spent some time in the DEO prison. <laughs> uh, he this is this one was particularly uh, funny when I revisited it. He destroyed James uh, James's camera in Blood Bonds, but this was not James's beloved <laughs> dad's camera. This was not the the one that turned him into Guardian. This was just some other camera. But he destroyed James, one of James Olsen's cameras, which we know is a bad thing. Don't ever destroy one of his cameras. No, uh, never. Uh, Maxwell Lord also helped Alex get Supergirl out of Black Mercy's control. He made synthetic red kryptonite. He helped Supergirl save the world and better and better angels by getting a hope speech on the air, which feels like the opposite of what happened in Wonder Woman 1984. And at the end of the season, he is seen with the Omega Hedron uh, with General Lane. So that's sort of the recap of Peter Fashionelli in Supergirl season one. So I guess now that we've sort of set the standards for. Man, uh, he was what, stuff, huh? He, he did a lot. He had a big presence in Supergirl season one. So I miss Maxwell Lord. Well, let's, oh, wait. let's bring him back for the final season. <laughs> I think he could make a, make an appearance. Why not? Uh, so if we were going to do a snap judgment, and we, we've got some snap judgments coming, but if we were going to do a snap judgment here, which snap, uh, which Maxwell Lord did you prefer? Oh, it's, mm -hmm. this is a tough one because it's hard for me personally to vote against Pedro Pascal. Uh, but I think in terms of effectiveness and uh, taking care of business, um, as as the song says, I think it would be <laughs> Peter Fascinelli. I mean, I think he got up to all kinds of nonsense. And then at the end, he helped them. But then also at the end, he kind of betrayed them. And then <laughs> found out what whatever peter fascinelli um maxwell lord is doing with the omega hedron we'll never know never know never know i guess it's not important i guess it's cool <laughs> yeah, he's part of the forgotten of supergirl and it just will always be forgotten never to return uh yeah it's tough because pedro pascal's acting performance was so fantastic good. but pedro uh but uh peter fascinelli I think his Maxwell Lord was a much more interesting character because he he did have some of that good and bad in him. And, and there was a little bit with Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord. But uh, I guess, and it's also kind of unfair because one is on film, one is in a TV show. You have more time to develop him with um, Peter Fascinelli's version. But I, I thought Maxwell Lord, he just, on Supergirl, I think he, he was allowed to um, be more of a character. He wasn't so one note, um, which I thought was a little unfortunate for Pedro Pascal. His, his big deal was I want to be rich. I want to have oil and I'm going to make everybody's dreams come true and, and including mine. And that was kind of his whole thing. And yeah. it was kind of it. Yeah. I think, um, I think there was a lot more going on with, uh, Peter Fascinelli's Maxwell Lord, just because it's TV and you can kind of you know, parcel things out over time and you can learn more about a character and in film, the character kind of has like a job almost. And like he, Pedro Pascal's uh, Maxwell Lord did his job in uh, messing things up and getting things crazy. But I, I think that Peter Fascinelli's was more interesting and in that he had more layers and could sometimes do the right thing. Um, yeah. Although 
I feel like most of the right thing was based off of self-preservation, but still, you know, whatever. <laughs> it did come in uh, come in handy uh, every now and then. Uh, Elector WWF says uh, Peter Fastinelli's Maxwell Lord seemed more comic book accurate. There's there's arguments to be made there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Claudia says Max Lord from season one of Supergirl, hands down. And uh, Mark reminds us, remember when we were debating if Max and Alex had chemistry? Yeah, that was a thing. He did flirt with uh, Alex Danvers there. Oh, that's right. One. I remember being like, Alex doesn't seem super into him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a thing that happened. But they had some really good scenes where they talked they about like, his, yeah. his uh, parents dying and all of that. So I guess maybe we're a little biased because we picked the Supergirl version. But uh, <laughs> but there are arguments to be made on uh, both sides of it. Um, okay, so I think we've maybe gotten uh, everything that we wanted uh, to talk about with this movie. Is there anything that you wanted to bring up before we wrap up our um, film discussion? I think the last thing uh, I want to get your take on is, is what did you think of Cheetah? Uh, not just the um, whatever was going on with her at the end, <laughs> uh, but just the character in general. I thought Kristen Wiig did a good job. I thought that Barbara was was an interesting character. I thought her her sudden kind of heel turn was a little bit sudden, but I mean, I guess it was kind of the monkey's paw situation where she became more powerful, but lost her humanity. So I thought uh, what she had in terms of screen time and what she was given to do, I thought she did a great job. I think I always knew Kristen Wiig would do a good job because I've seen her in other roles. Other, like a lot of people are like, well, she's just an SNL. No, she's been in dramatic movies. She's a really great actress. Yeah, um, she is. You 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 can you can pretty much tell if somebody is a really funny comedian, they're going to make a great actor. You, that happens with Tina Fey, Jim Carrey, those kinds of people. They can really because comedy is so difficult. Like it's very hard to be funny in a sense. So I think dramatic actors have it easy. Like comedy is way <laughs> harder to do. You have to have a sense of rhythm, and you have to know you know when things are going to hit, or else your you know your jokes are not going to work. So I think that that's a really valuable you know skill to have as an actor, and you can see it uh, here with her. Yeah, especially in the the beginning when she her, her kind of first big scene where she meets Diana and she's like, uh, yeah, we had an we had like two interviews like we we've met before. <laughs> like I really I really like that the way she sort of sort of whispered things under her breath and, and the, the timid way that she was trying to communicate. I thought she did a great job of separating the Barbara side of things and the sort of the cheetah aspect. Um, but I just, I thought she should have had more to do. I mean, Cheetah is like top three Wonder Woman villains, maybe number one. Honestly, yeah. I think, I think my critique would be that Maxwell Lord and Cheetah in the same movie is, is a lot of story. And so I think if this was going to be the Maxwell Lord movie, then maybe they should have saved Cheetah for like her own thing. Yeah, I, I understand why they did it because you have to have a reason for how she becomes Cheetah. <laughs> like you, I mean, she can't just like appear and she's like a cat lady. <laughs> so I, I understand that part of the reason that she's with Maxwell Lord is that Max turns her into Cheetah, even though I, I think we already discussed like it doesn't make sense how she was turned into Cheetah and in like, the end. And then in the end, doesn't she just turn back to Barbara? So I, like I, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering if we'll see her in like a future wonder woman movie or dc you know eu movie but will she be 
I don't know. You you have to have some other crazy. Maybe maybe Cersei shows up in the third movie, and she's like, "I'm <laughs> gonna turn you into a cheetah, back uh, into cheetah." <laughs> I am a magical character, and I can do that. Um, I, I guess you could bring her back. It seems dumb at this point to to put her in another movie. Honestly, in my opinion, because you had your chance. You had your chance to do cheetah, and I, I, and think, I think that's that's bad. why I'm sort of let down. Is that like? If that's all the cheetah we get in a Wonder Woman movie, it's she was like the tier B villain. And I think I think she deserved to be tier A. I think she deserved to be the main villain in a Wonder Woman movie. She's such a big, you know, Wonder Woman villain in the comics. If if it had been my movie, which again, I'll reiterate, it was not. It was Patty Jenkins movie. I would have not done the Steve Trevor thing at all. And I would have had the Barbara Diana friendship be the focus of the movie. I think yeah. if you spent more time developing that relationship, I think it would have meant more in the end. I agree. I think that like you could have broken those, like those two villains away from each other. And it could have been a movie about Barbara and Diana's friendship. And then as it, uh, fractures and then i think it's even like more impactful at the end when the big fight because you're supposed to be like oh no they're friends but they're fighting but like they were friends for like three days and so <laughs> it's true it's like, oh no she's fighting that work acquaintance she had <laughs> diana's like i really don't want to hurt you we're you know she's like but you know it's oh well <laughs> barely like I think if if we had seen them being friends and then we had seen Barbara you know have that kind of same journey where she's turning into cheetah um it would have been a lot more even if they wanted to introduce her as Barbara in this movie and then sort of have her be cheetah in like a follow-up movie at least we would like have the the friendship background and so I I don't know like when when they were fighting I was like you know, it sucks that they're fighting, but at the same time, like they weren't best friends. Like we saw them meet each other. And that was like probably one week ago in the timeline of the movie. <laughs> what if you just replaced Barb, if you replaced Steve Trevor with Barbara? Yeah. And, and just, and just had Barbara go to Cairo with Diana and do all that investigating with Diana and did all of that stuff. What, what would that movie look? Would that have been a better movie? You know what? I love Chris Pine and I love um, Diana and Steve. I think that they've got great chemistry. I think that would have been a better movie, though. I, honestly, I don't. I think the Steve stuff um, I liked a lot because I like those two actors together and I like their chemistry and I like the way that they write that relationship. But I don't think it was needed. Like, I think we had that movie and it was the first Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> And so I don't think that we need it to see it happen all over again in a second movie. Like it, to your point earlier, it did kind of feel like she's learned the same lesson twice. And so, yeah, I think if it's a, if it's a Barbara and, and Diana movie where they're hanging out and they're solving mysteries and then slowly Barbara starts to lose it, that's way more interesting to me than having, you know, this sort of Steve interlude in what is essentially kind of the middle of the film. I think that I think that yeah I think that's a that would have solved it I think honestly I'm starting to wonder that they didn't really hash these things out very much before they if it, and I don't want to make judgments I wasn't there when they did all this but it sort of feels like they wrote this in a week and then they just went and shot the movie because because we're we're hashing we're we've been uh, live for two hours <laughs> and we've hashed out and pitched 
maybe a better movie. I don't know. Maybe it's my ego talking, but it feels like we're having discussions. I don't know if they, they have a version and everyone's like, it's much worse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that there was, I think that one of the problems in this movie with this movie is it was just trying to do too much. When I saw the runtime, it, it was trying to do so many things, so many things, so <laughs> So many things. <laughs> we we got back and we were going to watch on Christmas Christmas Day, and I was like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be two hours." And Mike was like, "It's two and a half," and I was like, two and a half." Um, and you know, sometimes sometimes movies can earn those two and a half ec- extra three hours, whatever runtime, insane runtime they want to have. Um, but this one I don't think did. I think this one just was kind of stuffing more and more elements into it when it could have been pairing it back to like, what's important for this story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Real quick. We'll take this uh, question from Kenny. Uh, He says, uh, because of where the DCU is now heading, do you feel wonder woman 1984 was a soft reboot of the character? Uh, What are your thoughts on that Morgan? I don't think so, because to me, a lot of what happened in 84 was a continuation of what happened in the first Wonder Woman movie, the the one from 2017, um, to the, the point that you made that, like, some of it felt a little rehashy. Um, so I felt like she was the same character that she was in, in Wonder Woman, um, except maybe, like, a little bit more divorced from humanity. Um, but I don't feel like she was different. I don't feel like it really rebooted the character in any way. I felt like it was a continuation of the character. I think the only reason that some people might think that and where I, why I had hesitancy about it is because it did sort of break from BBS continuity. Um, because I think Patty Jenkins, her whole philosophy with Wonder Woman is like, well, she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't walk away from humanity. And I think there's an argument to be made for that. I also think there's an argument to be made with, well, what if she did? what would that look like? You know, how would her character be different? Like, I think that's a more interesting idea is what would Wonder Woman do for a hundred years being in our world? Um, So I don't think so. I think to your point, I think it was pretty consistent from Patty Jenkins's point of view. Um, Maybe it took a, uh, the thing about Batman v Superman is that it had to introduce her. And I think the reason that they didn't do certain things like have Wonder Woman fly in BBS is because Zack Snyder wanted Patty Jenkins to be able to do that and have the opportunity to do that for her films. So there were certain things that that were set up in BBS that like were just kind of opening up the character. So I don't know. It's kind of tough, Kenny. Uh, I I think uh, it could maybe be argued either way. Do do we know anything about Wonder Woman 3? Do we know when when in the continuity that they're planning to set that? I sure hope it's not in the past. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny, it's funny because I think if it wasn't for, you know, the the setup that Wonder Woman hadn't really like embraced being Wonder Woman until yeah, I think Batman v Superman. I think the past movies would have been really fun. Actually. It's like a great way to not mess up your continuity and you can just do stuff in the past. And there's so many cool time periods. Like I feel like they could have had like a crazy fun time with like wonder woman in any kind of time period. But as it is, it's like, they're kind of um, their hands are a little bit tied as far as like how involved she can get and how, you know, how much people can know about wonder woman being around. So yeah, at this point I, I want, I want current, timeline wonder woman 
Yeah, I would like to see her in the future and, and expand her world. I'm a Donna Troy fan. I love Wonder Girls. So I would love to see sort of that be expanded. So now you could do that in the future where you could have a Wonder Girl show up. So that would that would be my preference. So you've done the past. We've we've seen a lot of past with Wonder Woman. We've been with her in 1918. We've been with her in 1984. What is what is she doing in the future? Uh, what's she up now? <laughs> what's she what's she up doing our time? So that's that's my preference. But how's her quarantine going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did she have to worry about the virus? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> that is a good, good question. All right. Well, I think I think it's fair to say we had mixed reactions, and that's perfectly valid. I think there were things I really liked about it. There were some things that uh, I thought were a little weak that could have been a little stronger, but on the whole, it's a it's a watchable movie. And I think for what it was trying to achieve, I think it probably uh, it achieved it to a degree. Yeah, I think um, for me, it was an enjoyable movie. I I've seen a lot of the, you know, the backlash of, of people online sort of reacting to it. Um, and I think the backlash is a little overblown. Like it wasn't the worst movie of all time. Uh, it really wasn't. It was enjoyable. It was fun. I'll watch it again. It was it was definitely too long. They needed to shorten it up. They needed to tighten it up. They needed to really focus up the story, I think. Um, but there was some a lot of good stuff in it. I liked the um, Diane and Steve stuff. They those two actors have great chemistry. I thought it was a good character, some good character stuff for Diana. The beginning part was incredible, and I thought there was it was just a really fun movie. I I'll enjoy watching it again. Is it the best movie ever? No, but uh, but I I think it it did what it set out to accomplish most mostly successfully um uh with you know the two hours of <laughs> of nitpicks that we've just done <laughs> it feels well, funny to, to wrap it up and be like i actually liked it but uh <laughs> this is how i appreciate this is how i express my appreciation but i mean i did actually like it did i think it was perfect no did i think there were like a lot of places that they could have improved it Yes. <laughs> well, I think that we gave the the movie a, a really good, deep analysis of it. And I think as a filmmaker, if it if I again, if I was the filmmaker, I'd be like, wow, they took the time to really dig into my movie and talk about what was going on. In the so, amount of time you've listened to this podcast, you could have watched most of Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> so so I hope that just, it, just layer our commentary over it like a director's commentary. <laughs> So, so that's that's my feeling on it is that, yeah, there's some things I liked and some things I didn't like. But if if I take the time to really go through a movie like that, because the movies I really don't like, I'm like, I don't want to ever deal with that again. Like <laughs> Artificial Intelligence, that movie with uh, the little boy and then there's aliens and there's oh the, my teddy God. Teddy bear. The, the AI movie. Was that with Jude Law? That's yes. That's one of like, I remember it, that movie. And I just it, remember being like, why is this movie still happening to me? <laughs> I, I never want to like talk about that movie ever again. That's the only thing good about it was the teddy bear. And that was it. Um, <laughs> so like that, that movie, if I don't like a movie, I'm like, no, we're we're finished here. I'm never going to address that. But if I, for me, if I take the time to kind of go through it, I'm at least giving it a shot and trying to uh, to actually understand what it was trying to do. So that's that's my thought about it. So I guess uh, I guess that wraps up our our thoughts on uh, Wonder Woman 1984. So should we uh, get into some uh, 
snap judgments uh we most certainly should all right um, let me let me get the uh the intro and uh we'll we'll get we'll make snap judgments in the game of snap judgments each person is presented with two options but must only choose one first instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary okay so our first snap judgment where would you prefer to to shop jc penny or walden books uh i that's this is a tough one so like here's the jc penny from the show mm-hmm. so that's that's the that's the brown and the orange and the yellow that i was talking <sighs> about earlier jc penny i i have a really uh i have an affiliation uh, uh if any, is that the word I, I'm in a, now I can't uh, think of the word. Why, affinity. Why affinity. Affinity. Yes. I was like, why does that sound weird when I just said it? Um, because my grandma Pearl in Kingsport, Tennessee, she loved JCPenney. She would she would take us to go <laughs> to JCPenney in Kingsport. So I have a little bit of a connection to JCPenney, but I also would have more fun at Walden Books. I guess in honor, I've got my my grandpa Roberts. This is, this is, my, <laughs> this is my mom's dad and grandma Pearl is my dad's mom. So I guess in honor of my grandparents, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to say JCPenney on this one. That's, I mean, that's a solid choice. Um, I feel like JCPenney just recently went out of business. I think it so, did. And so I feel like the experience of shopping at JCPenney is something that I remember being as a fairly reg- uh, recent thing. But Walden Books, oh, I used to go in there and lose myself for hours. <laughs> and so I'm going to vote for Walden Books. It was basically the same as Barnes and Noble, but it had a different name. And then I could go to two bookstores at once. <laughs> and that was a fun time for me back in the day. So yeah, books, bookstores, oh, bookstores, bookstores. The, the best. Yeah. We, we've got some Electro WWF says Walden books. Uh, Leslie says uh, JC Penny and uh, Mark is all about Walden books. So we got a, got a mixed reaction on, uh, on that one there. Nice. Okay. So you're sightseeing in Washington, DC. Do you visit the Lincoln Memorial? Or the National Air and Space Museum. I I love the Lincoln Memorial. I really do. I think it's a really a very iconic place in Washington D.C. But I have not been to the Air and Space Museum in a long time. I think I would go to the Air and Space Museum. So we uh, are having the same answer for almost the same reason. <laughs> I've, I've been to the Lincoln Memorial, but I have never been to the Air and Space oh, Museum. Oh, never. And so I would like to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think now I would have because I went to Washington, D.C. when I was really little. And so I had memories of it, but I don't I didn't appreciate history then at that time. And we went to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago and we did some of the museums. But we and we went to the Lincoln Memorial and we went to like the Jefferson Memorial and some of the stuff on the Washington Mall. But we didn't go inside the Air and Space Museum. So I think that would be on my list when we go back. Uh, if if we ever, uh, you know, travel and do things again, <laughs> that's uh, that's on my list. In the Ather Times, you're going to really <laughs> love that museum. I'm going to love the Air and Space Museum. Um, okay, next one. Um, space Shuttle or Invisible Jet? I really liked what they did with uh, the Invisible Jet Um but I'm going to go space shuttle. The space shuttle is such a cool idea. You basically like get in it. I mean, it is a, a rocket ship. It's not like a plane, but it sort of works like a plane where it comes back. It's got like a uh, landing gear and it sort of lands like a plane. Like you go, you get shot up into space. And of course the space shuttle is, I think pretty much defunct now. I don't know. 
Do they still use, they don't still use the space shuttle to go to like the space station, do they? They I don't, might. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But like I just love the concept of the space shuttle that you you get shot up in a rocket ship and then you just come down like a plane. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's awesome. It is pretty wild. Um, I think if if that shows anything that we we need to go to that air and space museum because neither of us knew. We were like, do they still do one? I don't know. <laughs> and the space shuttle stuff may be defunct now, but they still, I think, still shoot people up into the space station. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know how they do that now. Uh, someone, I think someone let us know if you know. Lynn in the chat says that they retired the shuttles. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah. But um, so I, that's, mm-hmm. this is a good question. Um, but I'm going to go Invisible Jet. And I, I want to clarify, that's all versions of the Invisible <laughs> Jet. But almost more specifically, the version, uh, the old version. that looks, <laughs> It's like she was in a glass, like a glass jar. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great version of the invisible jet because it's it's invisible, but not really. Like you can not st- really. You can <laughs> still see it. You can still see her inside of it. She just like <laughs> sitting on air. Uh, and, that's, and that's what I want to experience. <laughs> I fly through the the clouds like a beautiful bird um okay so if you have a snap judgment put it in the comments because we're at our last snap judgment which is what's the better look for steve trevor parachute pants or the preppy outfit okay so just just to remind everybody parachute 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 pants american flag fanny pack and then like the uh the sort of preppy outfit is is the one that uh the Diana really liked that the handsome man ended up wearing at the end. So uh, I, I'm going to go parachute pants. The reason why is because of the American flag fanny bag. I like that that sort of ties into the fact that he was in the military and he was a soldier for the United States. Uh, I think he, yeah, he was an American soldier. Um, So I, I like that tie to his character. So I'm going to say parachute pants. I think I have to go parachute pants too because the preppy look is just too monochromatic. It's too like white and beige. I feel like I'm looking at um like a 80s Instagram influencer and I I kind of <laughs> the scarf is pretty funny. I will give them that the scarf is fun. and and the fit on all the clothes is wrong in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like he's wearing the puffy shirt from Seinfeld. It does. <laughs> but I I don't feel like it really it's not giving me enough 80s flavor. It's not giving me a personality it's not giving me a look and those <laughs> parachute pants they are giving me looks <laughs> agreed agreed that is the 80s you got and you got to throw a fanny pack on everything just everything well and i th- did he use the fanny pack i want to say he like pulled something from it at one point i think it was functional at one point i like that how much he was excited by the prospect of fanny packs he was like <laughs> it's weird to be back alive it's weird to be in 1984 these fanny packs you guys know what you're you're doing. <laughs> really, really helpful. Uh, so Rachel says, uh, preppy outfit. So he and Diana match. That's a good <laughs> version. Uh, yeah. Electra WWF says a uh, preppy outfit. Uh, and Lynn says, if I could fit in my parachute pants, I'd be wearing them right now. So I what wonder, <laughs> are they are they are they comfortable? Uh, I I don't know. Maybe that would play into it if he was more comfortable in the parachute pants. I they they seem like they would be comfortable. Um, so Mark actually has a snap judgment up here. Um, let me grab it. Uh, he says Wonder Woman 1984 or Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. 
I thought the Birds of Prey movie was a better movie. So I'm going to say Birds of Prey. I'm going to say Birds of Prey as well. I think that that movie had a real like visual look. It had like a real perspective. It was, it knew what it wanted to be and what it was doing. And it was just really fun. Um, I think 84 was fun too, but I think Birds of Prey was a better constructed film. Yeah. I think it actually knew more about what it was trying to be. It was trying to be a story about Harley Quinn and in the, in the Birds of Prey, but not, not as much. It was a Harley Quinn movie. Mostly hard. Didn't, didn't they retitle it on, on some of it's, the, the, I think it's, a, I think it's officially, I think it's officially Birds of Prey colon. No, it's Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. I, th- <laughs> I think is what it is. Somebody, I think something the, like that. The biggest problem with that movie was I was I think the name leading you to believe that the Birds of Prey were going to be a bigger part of it than they ended up being. If it was just called like Harley Quinn, also the Birds of Prey are kind of in it. I would <laughs> I would have no expectations. <laughs> oh yeah. So um yeah, that's a that's a tough one because I, I do like Wonder Woman and there are things I liked about 1984, but if we're going, you know general thoughts yeah Yeah. if we have to pick one i mean i think i'm gonna go birds of prey yeah uh electra uh also uh says should max uh snap judgment should max lord have been should he have been the villain or should it have been cheetah if you had to pick one hmm if i only had to pick one for mm, i mean it depends on if i would get a later cheetah a movie with cheetah as a villain if i'm if the answer is no then i think it should have been cheetah the answer is yes, then I, I feel like Maxwell Lord kind of fit it better into the 84 theme, the 80s themes that they were going with. But I mean, I really just wanted Cheetah to have her moment to shine. So I'm going to go Cheetah. Yeah, if I had to pick one, I would have picked Cheetah, hands down. Yeah. Um, especially since the the one thing that Maxwell Lord is famous for in the comics, they didn't do. <laughs> they were like, nah, we're good. No, so I, I think I would have picked Cheetah just because I would have I would have thought that was a more interesting story or it could have been. All right. Well, I think that's all of our snap judgments. Yeah. Uh, so let's do the outro and we'll, we'll be right back. No judgments on your snap judgments. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our Wonder Woman 1984 a film review for this week's episode of Supergirl Radio. It, it It's about Wonder Woman, but really there were a lot of Supergirl ties to it. Um, so I think we should uh, tease what's going on next week. So, Morgan, if you can find among the or actually, I got it right here. Oh. Uh, so next week, we're going to uh, be trying some new things <laughs> with Supergirl Radio. Uh, we're doing some experimental live streams. So on Thursday, January 21st, so, so this is a different day than we normally do, at a different time at 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, we're going to have what uh, what I've termed the Morgan Glennon Podcast Universe. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a Morgan Glennon Podcast Universe crossover for our first official Supergirl Radio game night. Now, we did have a previous game of Supergirl Jeopardy, uh, but it wasn't really officially a game night. So this is going to be our first official game night uh, because Jeopardy was a big hit. So we're going to expand that idea. Uh, we're going to do a live stream that will feature uh, some some people in that podcast, uh, that Morgan Glennon podcast universe. <laughs> um, so we're going to have fun playing with them. And while we're playing, we're going to be playing a board game. So if uh, you're looking at the screen, if you're listening to audio, uh, this is actually, uh, I believe it's Action Comics 360, I think is the the right issue. Um, there is a Supergirl comic. It's, a, it's an 80-page giant that has a board game on the cover. So we're actually going to be playing 
the board game for real. And while we play it, we're actually going to be talking about the stories that are embedded within the board game because the cool thing about it is that uh, the board game squares are actually uh, Supergirl comics. So we're going to be talking about those stories and learning about uh, the Silver Age of Supergirl as we do it. Well, I'm excited, and uh, and so are the legendary ladies, and so is Sarah from Aether Dark. So we're just gonna, it's gonna be like um like our own little Justice League here. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll see. This may be uh, the first of many game nights. So this is something that we've sort of talked about to wanting to try, since that is something that they do I'm on. Gonna, I'm gonna pull out my finest gray sweater for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a gray sweaters only. Uh, and so we're, we're going to be uh, maybe trying to do a couple of these games. We'll see if we can make it. This is our little test run with this simple sort of board game to see if we can make that work. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to be doing that next week, uh, uh, Thursday, January 21st at 10 p.m. So come and learn uh, about some Supergirl comics and uh, and have fun uh, watching this this team up of the Morgan Glennon uh, <laughs> podcast universe. I like uh, putting out the call to everyone. <laughs> I just put, put, put that bad signal uh-huh. out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to some plugs and uh, and get this uh, live stream uh, concluded. <laughs> if you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678 678- 718-7252 and make sure to write and call in before Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You can find links to everything I just mentioned on supergirlradio.com on the right side of the page. And now we throw it over to Amy from the Legends of Tomorrow podcast for the DC TV plugs. Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV podcast network, so if you're interested in The Flash, Black Lightning, Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, Titans, Stargirl, Green Lantern, Strange Adventures, and the upcoming Superman and Lois series, or DC TV After Dark, make sure to follow DC TV podcasts on social media and subscribe to the podcast mega feed if you want all those podcasts in one place. If you enjoy our Supergirl Radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired. DC TV Podcast also has a Tee Public store, so if you are in need of some new DC TV related t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to supergirlradio.com and click on the Tee Public store link at the top of the page. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of information. And speaking of uh, the DC TV podcast, T Public Store, uh, we've got some uh, maybe some stuff that ties into Wonder Woman 1984. So just Ooh. wanted to show some designs. I, I, I figured, you know, why not? We'll, we'll put some Wonder Woman stuff in there. Uh, so we've got some uh, uh, Wonder Woman designs that we've got in there, some 84 stuff. Uh, so I just wanted to pop these in here just in case you're curious. Uh, so we've got some uh, specifically Wonder Woman 1984 stuff. Then we also have some Supergirl stuff that sort of ties into the 80s <laughs> uh, with some neon uh, neon designs here. Uh, we've got a cool Supergirl one. Oh, that's sort of actually really cool. <laughs> sort of some, some neon stuff. And then we've got a Maxwell Lord design. So you can uh, 
join Lord Technologies if you are interested in doing that as well. And uh, Morgan, uh, since uh, some, since DCTV plugs are kind of your jam, uh, do you want to tell people about the uh, the new uh, contest that we've got going on? Sure would, Rebecca. <laughs> um, our DCTV plugs are going to be out of date soon uh, because they can't stop making shows. I've, I've begged them to. Um, so we're going to need some new ones. If you would like to be featured on Supergirl Radio, please send us an audio file. And by audio file, I mean MP3, M, uh, M4A or WAVE uh, to supergirlradio at gmail.com. Try to do that by February 21st. Um, we want to thank you for contributing and we'll send some giveaway items to those who send in submissions. Now be as creative as you like, but you need to mention these <laughs> podcasts. And this is how Rebecca gets me to do the plug. <laughs> Here we go. These are the podcasts you need to mention. So be writing these down. As I speak, Supergirl Radio, that's the one you're listening to now. Superman and Lois Radio, it's like Supergirl Radio, but he's a man. Um, the Flash <laughs> Podcast, you know, the one Andy's on. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow Podcast, you know, the other one I'm on. Uh, <laughs> the Black Lightning Podcast, the one I usually say at least twice or three times in these plugs by accident. <laughs> um, Titans and Doom Patrol Podcast. Don't Star forget Batwoman. Uh, did did I? I think so. I think so. I sure did. I sure did. It's the only one of the only shows I'm current with, and I did forget it. Don't forget the Batwoman podcast, like I did, or we're not going to choose you. <laughs> um, Batwoman podcast, Titans and Doom Patrol podcast, Star Girl podcast, Justice League Dark podcast, Green Lantern podcast, Strange Adventures podcast, and DC TV After Dark. That's a very long list of podcasts that you're going to have to say so that I don't ever have to say it again. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely, if you uh, if you feel like doing a, a voiceover, we'll uh, we'll send you some stuff in the mail, and uh, we'll uh, reward you by including you on our our podcast and in our live stream so if you want to help us out feel free to do that you got till february 21st to participate we need uh, you <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh we'll do some quick plugs for us uh, personally really quickly uh so you can find me on instagram at the derby kid uh you can also find me on youtube at youtube.com slash duck milk prod uh so there are some ways to follow me there and i also just wanted to take this opportunity to sort of issue a retraction and an apology from our A Princess for Christmas live stream. Uh, this which is, is very serious and we take it very seriously. I mean, uh, it's it's important to correct when you get it wrong, uh, which and this this uh, this incorrect information is based on my own ignorance. So I just want to apologize for that. One of our listeners at Yvonne72 uh, on Instagram let us know that the head female maids in big houses are always called Mrs. even when unmarried. So my, apologi uh, my apologies to Mrs. Birch for uh, accusing her of having an affair with Paisley Winterbottom. Uh, that apparently uh, was not the case. So I don't want to slander anybody or, uh, yeah, I think it's slander when you're speaking. Slander. Um, yeah. So so I, I don't want to uh, misrepresent uh, Mrs. Birch and Paisley Winterbottom's relationship. So I just wanted to correct that for the record. And and I want to go on the record and apologize to my co-host, Rebecca. I have watched so much Downton Abbey and I should have <laughs> caught that mistake. Her name is Mrs. Hughes in Downton Abbey. 
Mrs. Hughes. And yet somehow that never occurred to me. <laughs> She's not married. <laughs> now, now we know. But now I know. And knowing is half the battle. That's <laughs> what I say. Um, you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. You can also uh, find me on a DCTV After Dark as well as the Legends of Tomorrow podcast where right now we're getting ready for a um, legendary ladies AMA. Oh. Ask me anything. So send us those AMA questions. You can, you can tell when we just got back from break and we're tired when we make <laughs> you do the podcast work for us. Uh, but it's it's going to be fun is the thing. If you send in questions, it's going to be fun. If we have to think them up ourselves, it's still probably going to be fun, but we don't want to do work. So <laughs> send us your questions at uh, the legends podcast at gmail.com or to us on Twitter um, legends underscore podcast. I think that's right. Feel very somewhat confident that that's our <laughs> Twitter account. I have it on my phone. I should know it. Um, and also on, you can send them on Facebook as well. Um, the legends of tomorrow podcast, just send us all your questions. And then this way we'll have stuff to talk about and we don't have to do any preparations. You know, that sounds great. Uh, it I, does, th- I think, it? I think everybody's getting something out of it. The listeners get to ask you questions and you don't have to do a lot of work. So and I think that's great. Kind of ease back into podcasting, like a warm <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Supergirl Radio. We we took like a like a a good month off. Yeah, we so, really did. So I feel very refreshed. I'm ready so to get refreshed. Back. I yeah. mean, I think you can tell that we came back refreshed because we decided to embrace costumes for this live stream. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's been a while since we podcast it. Can we make it weird? <laughs> <laughs> so so everybody is ready to go back into the in in the new year. We've got some things going on. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. And I I think, Morgan, should we end this with a life is good, but it can be better. better. Do you you, want to take a, a stab at it? Sure. Life is good, but it can be better. DC TV Podcast. There's too many now. Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Is Nasty Luther like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. It's so fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio.